Hey everyone, welcome to Ga- Oh, we've lost Matt. Matt, you've become a black hole somehow. <laughs> anyway, welcome to Game Face episode 253 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. Give me just one second to get Matt back in the picture here. Not sure what happened to him, but we'll figure it out real quick. The void got me. Apparently, the program that sends the Zoom from the PC to our TriCaster crashed. Mm. So you're coming back up in just one second. And there he is. All right. (laughs) Sorry about this, guys. I'm not sure what happened. That's never happened before. Although we have been having problems, Matt, with your feed Mm -hmm. essentially, like, flickering at points during the show. I'm not sure why. Um, Anyway, Uh there he is. There's Matt J. Kyle. What's going on, Matt? Hey. How was your week? It was all right. Um, saw a movie. Went to an Oscar party. Wow! Did some stuff. Living. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> imagine that. Yeah, I, I guess don't know you how saw I feel about my first movie back news. in theaters for over a year being Mortal Kombat, but here we are. <laughs> um, I guess you saw that a bunch of restrictions were kind of lifted today. If you uh, yeah. have been vaccinated, you don't have to wear masks outside everywhere. Um, and even inside, I think, as long as the groups aren't too big, you can... Uh, yeah, small small groups inside. Also, news for you, uh, people were already wandering around with no masks on outside. Like, that. that's... Yeah. The, 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 the CDC regulation is mostly catching up with what's already happening, so that's good that they finally agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's slowly happening. There's a, there's back a, to normalcy. It's nice. Sort of. <laughs> there's, a res- there's a restaurant near here that, op- you know, they opened here uh, near me and... Uh, with a lot of outdoor seating, I mean, intentionally a lot of outdoor seating. Like if there was no pandemic, it would still have tons of outdoor seating. Yeah. Um, and it's just shoulder to shoulder every time I drive past it. So I'm like, all right, I guess, I guess this is over, huh? It's good to see um, life going back to normal at least a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, transmission rates are are so low after vaccination that like, yeah, it feels like you know, I saw like you know another. You know, as uh, as Benson and Leffler and some of us call it, uh, another doom boner article, um, <laughs> where it was like, it's like you know, like people get infected after after uh, you know seven hundred or something cases after being you know fully vaccinated, and seventy four of those people died, and like you do the numbers, and it's like it's like a point zero 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 seven infection rate, and like a point zero 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 one death rate from that. It's like. Yeah, I, I, I think we should be more worried about driving to wherever we're going <laughs> at that point, given given the fatality rate of car accidents. But um, yeah, it's getting there. Like yeah, it's, uh, it's good to see life slowly getting back to normal. Man, it seemed like it was never going to happen, but here it is. I mean, there was a point in L.A. where if you were around like a hundred people, like eight of them had COVID, and yeah. now it's like like one third of one person in a hundred. Oh yeah, or whatever. well yeah. Yesterday, our uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, our uh, total, yeah, yesterday, our new cases was, I think, 274 new cases in L.A. County. Yeah, California, uh, I don't know if you've seen, we're at the three, bottom of infection rates yeah, now. Yeah, three, three months ago, it was 11,000 new cases I in know. a day, and there were 304 deaths. That I mean, so we had, there was a, three months ago, we had more deaths in a day than we had new cases yesterday. Yeah. So, uh, and that should be the hard evidence of all time that vaccines work. I think it, it also shows that reason. while the vaccine doesn't protect you 100% from getting it, it definitely slows down transmission. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's oh, yeah. a barrier there that's harder to break through than it was before if you're not vaccinated. Yeah, and also, like, the, the other thing is, like, uh, it is amazing 
that they worked up a vaccine this effective in this amount of time. Yeah. Like it's it's like that is I mean, granted, the coronavirus and mRNA research on this was a couple decades old. Like they've been doing this for a long time. It's never had the funding to do anything with it. Well, they were just kind of waiting the, to use it in all honesty. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. It was like tech. They had they had in their back pocket. They're like, if we ever need to use this, like we need money, but we can do it. And the, so they did it. I mean, Pfizer had, uh, you know, test trials happening two weeks after the lockdown started. Well, I like, remember pretty once ready. China released the genetic code for the virus. There was yeah. a crazy like server farm in San Diego that figured out the coronavirus in like 18 mm-hmm. hours. So, and I saw that and I was like, wow, is that true? Is that real? And it turns out it was. After that, mm-hmm. it was just all just the testing and getting it into the vaccine and yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's really I mean, they were, and it's, it's notable that like there was no real doubt about that they would work. It's just like you have to test it first. Like yeah. you can't just throw that at people. Like you have to make sure it does work. But it did. Like, you know, almost, you know, pretty much every initial test uh, of like, you know, where we're like, we're pretty sure this is it. It was it. It was it. So. Yeah. And a lot of people are still hesitant to get the vaccine because that's really what we need. We still need mm-hmm. a lot of people to get the vaccine. A lot of people that are hesitant about it are saying, oh, it wasn't tested very long. Well, the polio vaccine was only tested for 12 months back in mm-hmm. 1955. Back in 1955, it was only tested for 12 months, the polio vaccine. We've now been testing this vaccine for COVID-19 for 11 and a half months. So we're basically mm-hmm. at the same point now with the COVID vaccines as we were with polio when they started handing out the polio yeah. vaccine. And so. the polio vaccine actually did have a chance of giving you polio. It did. Because yeah. they used an inactive uh, copy of the virus. Yeah, it was an RNA. We don't use That's not used. Yeah, it was. Yeah, mRNA can't do that. Yeah. And actually, we have a new version. There's a new version of the polio vaccine that can't do that now. Yep. Um, you might see some of the propaganda being p- passed around is like, oh, there's more pol- polio cases from vaccinations now than there are from actual wild viruses. Well, that's because the wild virus is essentially extinct and stepped in like two two countries. Yeah. And two of those countries, like one of the countries is Afghanistan. And I think the other one is uh, it's in Africa. But like a couple of those countries, the, the, the governments have not switched over to the new vaccine as of 2016, which uh, prevents that, you know, what we call shedding. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in partly for economic reasons and in partly because, you know, we, you know, no matter how many lives it saves, we want to sell it. We want to sell it, sell it, sell it. Uh, and that's part of the problem that's happening with India right now. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of people are just hoarding vaccine right now because they're trying to take yeah. care of their countries first. So, yeah. But also like India, I, India wants to develop their own because they don't have to buy it from everybody else. Is. Holy moly, man. But, and you can and, you know, you know, they won't say it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people, you know looking at, you know, a lot of the business types looking over at, you know, the most popular, second most populous country on earth going like, oh, it's a lot of doses we could sell yep. in an international trade. That's true. So that's, uh, that's, that's a disaster. Like that's going to be uh, a big, big problem going forward. Yep. And Brazil. Brazil's yeah, not it's really bad too. In a great place. Yeah. So anyway, if you guys haven't got the vaccine yet because you've been waiting your turn, you haven't got your appointment, I hope you get one soon. Um, mm-hmm. I have my second shot coming up in like three weeks now. And as soon as that happens, I'm going home to see my family for the first time in like 18 months. So count on like maybe right after E3 or depending, maybe right at the end of next month, I may be out for like a week, a week and a half uh, to head home and catch up with people I have not seen for a really long time. Uh, I'm really, really excited by it. They're the feeling, Matt, when you walk out from your first vaccine shot, I can't even really put it into words. Like mm-hmm. you're just like walking on sunshine. <laughs> it's really crazy. Because uh, it's that first step that you know towards getting your normal life back. And I know we all can't wait for that. So anyway, 
this is a video game podcast, uh, but you know when a pandemic's going on, we do occasionally dip in and talk about that stuff. Uh, and, f- and speaking of which, it is the flagship show of Sifted Games at Sifted.net. I'm Shane Satterfield. I probably should have said that right off the top. Uh, I'm your humble host for the next couple hours of intense gaming discussion. You can find me on Twitter at Dinfire. Uh, this episode, we have a lot of games to talk about. I played games all freaking week, which is great. Um, next week, we're going to have a few other big games. We're going to have Returnal on the show next week. We're going to have New Pokemon Snap on the show next week. So finally, the games are starting to come in. Matt, they showed a new gameplay trailer for Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart this mm-hmm. week. That was awesome. Uh, that's coming really soon. So just really excited. To I get saw that shot where they loaded a new level in the time it took them to swing a hammer. Uh-huh. It's pretty amazing, the tech that they're using in that game. Uh, That's coming up pretty soon. So the games are starting to roll in, uh, which means we'll have less topics and more games on Game Face uh, here in the near future, and probably, for the most part, for the rest of 2021. Uh, Riding shotgun with me to host Game Face is Matt Kyle. You can find him on Twitter, at mkyle. That's M-K-E-I-L. And if you want to follow Sifted on Twitter, and you should if you're not a patron or a subscriber, because we always post there first whenever our content goes up for free, follow Sifted on Twitter at Sifted Games. Already got a ton of people in here hooking us up with Twitch Prime. Ptor91, thank you. Uh, David5807, thank you for Twitch Prime. We're already at level two of the hype train. Uh, Don Lionheart, thank you for Twitch Prime. Mega Drive Guy, thank you for Twitch Prime. Glad that you guys did this at the beginning of the show because, as you know, I kind of check out of chat once the show gets going. Uh, and if you guys haven't done that yet, maybe hold it till the end of the show if you think you're going to make it till then so I can recognize you guys at that point. Uh, like I said, we do have a bunch of games to talk about today. Um, nothing like... Top shelf quad A, as Sony would call it. Although people are saying that Microsoft coined that term first, Matt. Are you aware of that? No, I don't I, I don't think I'd heard that term in earnest until you said it last week. Oh, okay. So anyway, people are claiming that uh, Microsoft actually coined the term before Sony. I don't know. It's I mean, it sounds like something dumb that Microsoft would say about their <laughs> underwhelming games, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we do not have a quad A game on today's show, but we have a lot of really good ones and some that were pleasantly surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the least of which is the first game that we're going to talk about, which is Chivalry 2. Matt, did you spend a lot of time playing the first Chivalry? No. No? Did uh, you play it at all? I played it a little bit. Um, but again, it's a multiplayer only, uh, uh, you know. I mean, it was cool. It's cool that somebody did that with like medieval combat and stuff, but not my thing. So the first Chivalry came out in 2012, and it was one of those games at the game trailer's offices that turned into a thing. We would get one of those every, like, four months where people would find this game that one person liked. They'd come to work, and they'd say, hey, I really like this. Everyone should download it and try it. Everybody would, and then it would turn into this thing that everybody played at lunch. And then after work was over, people would be sitting back in our edit suites playing it on the bank of computers we had there to capture game footage. Uh, It became a thing. I played it because everyone else was playing it. I did not get into it too much. It felt... Too random and clunky to me. But now here we are, which is pretty crazy. It's taken nine years to make the sequel to this game. But it has, and right now it's in beta. I got a beta invite, and I've been playing it throughout the entire weekend. And the first thing I would say is that it is much better than the first game. Um, But the other thing I would say right off the bat is it hasn't changed that much from the first game as far as the controls, how it plays, the modes, the objectives. Um, And just to give you a quick kind of crib notes version of what the game is about, it is an online multiplayer game, a team-based game. Um, Chivalry 2 supports 64 players right now. 
Um, I don't know if that's going to expand at launch or after launch, but right now it supports 64 players. So 32 players on each team. And as Matt alluded to, it is a game entirely about medieval combat. So it's it's not 100% melee because you can get bow, a bow and arrow and you can throw pretty much anything in the game, which actually becomes very fun and very entertaining. But 90 to 95% of the people on the battlefield either have a sword a broadsword, a longsword, um, an axe, a pole, something melee-driven. So really, the focus of the game is melee combat. And you may say, oh, that's probably just a bunch of people running around, hacking and slashing each other. And really, I think the first game was kind of that way. There was a a deep learning curve Mm -hmm. involved, and it took quite a while before I could kind of get my head around it. So I think part of it was playing the first game. But the other part is that this game is just, it feels a lot better to play. It fe- the, the combat feels more accurate, more responsive. I tried playing this both with my Xbox Elite controller and with the mouse and keyboard. I basically had equal success with both of them. Really what it comes down to being successful in this game is learning your weapon. Each weapon has a range and a speed that you can swing it. And being good at this game is really mastering all that, learning what the maximum distance is that your weapon can reach and how long it takes to swing before it reaches sort of 12 o'clock on the dial and you can strike the enemy with your weapon. And it takes a while. Like, I started out with, like, a a long axe, like an axe on the end of, like, an 8-foot, 9-foot pole, and what I found was I would rush in, and the people with swords would just cut me down immediately. It takes a while to learn the range of the weapon that you're using. But my axe was more powerful than the sword. So once I started to learn how to gauge the distance that I had with my weapon, I could be more effective than the guys with the sword because they'd have to come in, and they'd have to slice me up, but they'd have to slice me like five or six times to kill me, whereas two, three whacks with with my uh, axe would take them down. And even better if you target it well. And that's to me, is the biggest difference about this game. The controls are much more accurate. And so I felt like I was much better at actually targeting the head than I was in the first game. Um, and this game is gory AF. There are decapitations everywhere. By the time the battle's over, the entire battlefield is covered in blood and limbs and bodies. Uh, the bodies will stay there for a really long time. I did notice eventually they do disappear. But I would say... On the low end, there's probably 60 bodies laying on the ground at any given time once the battle like is, is going on and people are starting to die. And the way it works is right now there are two modes. There's a team deathmatch mode, which all of you probably understand how that works, but it, it, but it is handled very much like a shooter. You have infinite respawns, and then there's a, a set number of kills that each side needs to attain. The first team to attain that set number of kills wins the match. Uh, but every time you die, you have a little bit of a delay before you can respawn. And then you respawn and you jump right back into the battles. And it's, it's really just who can kill the most of the other team. And then there are objective-based modes, which are they're not really capture and hold. They're capture and defend. So one team attacks while the other team tries to defend. And the cool thing about these is that they're kind of in waves. So the first wave is the marauding team getting over, and it depends on the map, but the map that I played over and over again, the first wave was the marauding team getting over the wall. So they have to go, and as a team, it's kind of like Overwatch map, where you have like the team that has to kind of push the thing through the map. That's how it works at the beginning, to get like the ladders and the boxes in place so that the, the attacking team can get over the wall. 
Then once they get over the wall, the battle moves into a new area. And in the, in, in the map, again, that I played a lot, there's a fencing that they have to fight. So then you're defending the fencing. You're trying to keep them from taking down the fence. Once they take down the fence, then it goes to the trebuchets. And there's like three or four trebuchets located around the map. And you have to keep them from destroying the trebuchets. And then on one of the maps, the final target is actually a king. Um, and they get into the keep. And then you have to defend the king. And the king, I'm not, I never could quite figure out who was selected as the king, but it's a playable character. And I was never lucky enough to become the king, unfortunately. I'm guessing it's probably the person who has the most kills once it gets to that point of the match. I don't yeah, know. Probably, probably the lead of some kind. Yeah. Somebody who's doing well, I would guess, gets to become the king. I'd never. Yeah, it's like who gets to be the Jedi in Battlefront. Yeah. So I never had the honor of being the king, but the king is buffed. So he has like a higher hit point number. He has stronger attacks. And then the end of the match is just you trying to defend your king against the team that's attacking. Um, and in that mode also, it's unlimited respawns. Um, you, it's not like once you die 10 times, you're no longer in the battle. You can just respawn over and over. Um, Matt, I've been having a lot of fun with this game. I'm kind of addicted to it, to be perfectly honest with you. There was a weird curve involved with it where I started playing it. It was fun just for the gore and the insanity of it all. Because the other thing is that they've built this game around the stuff that's cool about it. So battle cries are a big part of this game. So after you die and you respawn, generally you're rushing with a team a team like of four or five people. When the game starts, you're rushing with your whole team, like 32. And there's just something about running with your sword in front of you or your axe in front of you and just firing off a yell. Like, I don't know if it's like Braveheart Syndrome or whatever. There's something about it. And the whole game is kind of tailored around that. The developers have figured out very well what people really liked about the first chivalry and just doubled down on it and, and multiplied it for the sequel. Um the game also has a little bit of like a comedy bent to it, like kind of in the vein of Monty Python. Um, the battle cries help with that, and people who are good at the game get really good at firing off the appropriate sort of quip at the appropriate time. So if you're playing with somebody who's really good at the game, it's entertaining just to listen to like the clips that they're firing off. But also the gore. It's really gory, but it's also kind of in a funny way. Like after you lop off someone's head, you can pick it up and throw it at somebody. In fact, you can pick up and throw anything in this game. You can throw a shield. You can throw your weapon if you want to. There are rocks, like boulders that you can pick up and throw. And like some of that stuff is very satisfying. Like once you get to the end of the objective-based match and everyone's at the trebuchet, it becomes much easier to use, like, the throwing items because everyone's kind of gathered in one group at the trebuchet. And picking up a boulder and tossing it into, like, this group of 12 or 13 people and just watching it kind of bowl people, people over, it's very satisfying and very fun. Uh, but you can't be haphazard in this game in any sense of the word because there's team damage in the game. And that was one thing that also took me a while to get used to, um, especially as I was coming to grips with like the timing and the controls of it. Um, and people were hacking me just as much as I was hacking them, but it, it was kind of annoying at first. But what you start to realize is that the, the reticle, the pointer in the center of the screen, is very accurate. So as long as you're making sure that your pointer is on an enemy and not on one of your teammates, generally, if you strike, you're not going to hit one of your teammates. It took me a while to figure that out. But the, the problem is that the game encourages you to move the cursor while you're swinging. Because if you're swinging a sword or an axe, you can actually change the trajectory of your swing mid-swing. So say you're surrounded by like three guys. 
you can swipe just once and just attack one guy. Or while you're swiping, you can hold left or right on the analog stick, and you'll do like a more of like a like a sweeping attack that can hit several guys at once. So all that stuff is coming into play while you're managing like 64 people all slashing and hacking at each other. It can be insanity at times, but I think that's part of its charm. Um, some of the updates from the first game, other than like just the feel of the combat, there are more combat options. So you basically have three attacks. You have like a, a, sore, uh, a sideways slash, you have a vertical slash downwards, and then you have a stab. And then on defense, you can block... And if you time the block perfectly, you can parry. If you time the block better than perfectly, it will stagger the enemy and give you an opening to attack. Um, and then there's also dashing in the game. Um, you can kind of hold down, right, or left, or forward for that matter, and hit the A button on a console controller, and you can dash in any direction. That's very helpful to get away from an enemy as it's slashing at you. Um, I would just say that it has the perfect amount of depth. Like I said, there's a weird curve. When you first start, it's ha-ha, funny, awesome. Then you start to get your ass kicked, and you're like, I can't, okay, now it's time for me to figure out how to pl- actually play this game and get good at this game. And that's, it's a little bumpy at first. And the tutorial is, like, insane. It, it lasts for, like, 40 minutes, so the game does do a good job of actually teaching you everything. But once you get out into the field, it's hard to remember all that crap because there is a lot and it's just hard, even harder to enact it until you get comfortable with kind of the flow of how every match works. And once you kind of get into that comfort zone, that's when you can start applying the knowledge that you learned in the tutorial. And in all honesty, the stuff that you're watching your teammates do. Um, health is a big part of the game as well. You have like a bandage that you can use on yourself to heal, your, heal yourself. There's also like a health crate that you can throw into the middle of a melee. And it'll just instantly start healing all your teammates and that's a big part of the game, managing your health, managing the health of your teammates. I can't tell you how many times I was on the verge of death, and I just saw, like, the little pluses start going up because somebody tossed, like, a health crate at my feet to try and save me. Um, what I really like about this game, I think, at its core, is that it really feels like a team-based game. And so far, with the people I've been playing with in the beta, they're all about it. Um, you can hack your guys down. I have not come across somebody who just followed me around and just kept hacking me. Which, when I found out there was team damage, I was like, oh, this isn't going to end well. There's going to be some jerk out of those 32 that's going to run around killing all his teammates. And that had not happened to me the entire time I played it this weekend. Um, Every match was full of people who cared, um, full of people who were helping their teammates when they were downed. Um, There's a revive mechanic in the game, so once you are downed, you you try to kind of scramble away and get away from the big melee, the big mosh pit, and hope that somebody comes over and, and revives you. The revives are very fast, so it's not like this circle meter that you're waiting for it to refill for forever and it leaves you vulnerable for a long period of time. Really, once you get to a teammate, it's probably less than a second that it takes to revive you. So you can get back up and get in the, in the battle. Now, I will say this. Even after you're revived, it's very easy to kill you. You only have, like, I don't know, probably a fifth of your health bar or something like that. So if you immediately get hit by an enemy after you're revived, you pretty much die instantly. Uh, but it... It, at least it is quick, and like I said, it's unlimited respawn. So even if you do die, in one mode you may have to wait six or seven seconds to respawn. In Team Deathmatch, you can just instantly respawn, and again, start charging back into the battle. There's just something very exhilarating about running across the battlefield and seeing this huge skirmish of people hacking and slashing each other, and then as you run up, like as you play it up for a while, you start to learn, like, how to choose your battles, how to pick off people who are on, who are on the periphery of the battlefield. Because um, when you first start, you just want to run into that group of people and just start slashing them. 
And that is a sure way to die with liter- within literally like two seconds. As you start to learn, you start to hang back a little more and kind of survey what's going on. You'll find like one of the enemies has like slipped out of the group and they're over on the edge and there's already one of your teammates there who he's engaged with. So while he's engaged with him, you sneak in behind him and just stab him in the back. Um, I have learned so many strategies for this game in just like the three days that I've been playing it. Um, I'm having a blast with it. And it, there's like two sides and you you decide it to be any which side you prefer to play on. It doesn't mean you're always going to play for that side. There's really no plot per se. There's no story that kind of holds everything together other than there are these two sides that hate each other and they're locked in forever medieval combat and pick your side and go kill the other side. That's pretty much all there is. There's obviously the small narrative of, hey, here's the king in the keep. You need to protect him. But other than that, there's really no pros or anything to kind of hold all the different parts together. But it doesn't need it. Like it, the I think the base compulsion to play this game is very strong all on its own. Um, I hope they leave the beta up because I want to keep playing this. I know there's a couple games coming out this week I'm going to have to dedicate a bunch of time to. Uh, but I would really like to keep playing this. The game is also gorgeous. It's very pretty. It runs very, very well. Um, it was locked at 60 for me, and I have an old 1080. Um, so... I really struggle to find many criticisms for this game. A lot of the issues I have with the first, uh, and this is just a beta, a lot of issues I have with the first feel like they've been rectified. The combat feels way better. The game feels quicker, um, less luck-based, it seems like to me. Uh, I guess one thing I would say is maybe it would be nice if the weapons unlocked a little more quickly. I've been playing it a good while, and I really only have access to a couple at this point. I don't know if I'm missing something, and they're unlocking somewhere I'm not seeing. Uh, but I don't have access to as many weapons as a lot of people do. Like, for instance, I still don't have access to a bow. And I will say this. The bow people can be really freaking annoying because when they hit you, they stagger you. They don't take a ton of health like arrows don't, but they stagger you. And getting staggered mm-hmm. once in this game, it bait can make, mean doom, essentially. Uh, you can see right here, here's my archer standing back. Even I assume it opens, it opens you up to melee people near you. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. So they stand back, and they're even guns as well, like a rifle. And they hit you with it, and it doesn't do much damage, but it staggers you, and it opens you up to attacks from the person with the sword or the axe standing right next to you, which means in a lot of cases you might as well be as good as dead because the timing is really that precise. Like, I'll say this too. The the windows for for the pair, they call it reposting or whatever, for countering and blocking are really tight. Like, it's not hard to block an attack. That's easy. In fact, you can, like, do a terrible job of that and still block an attack. But if you want to counter or if you want to stagger an enemy with the block, the timing windows are really, really tight. That was one thing about the game I was hoping that they could tweak a little bit. But otherwise, I've had a blast with this game, Matt. Like, really, really like it. Way, way better than the first Chivalry. And the first Chivalry was a huge hit. It did really, really well. Um, It's in beta right now on PC. I think there is also a PlayStation beta coming, uh, but I haven't seen the dates for that. Um, but it is coming to PC, Xbox One, Xbox Series, X and S, PS4, and PS5, and it's launching on June 8th. One thing of note is that it is an EGS exclusive, so it's only going to be on Epic's Game Store for the first year. Um, so you're going to have to get it there. They are selling it for 40 bucks. That might be a little spendy for what it is. Like Again, I'm playing the beta, so I don't know exactly how much content's going to be in the final game. But in the beta so far, there's like, three or four maps some in two modes. Um, so certainly there needs to be more content than that to ask $40 for it. But on the other hand, like I'm having a ton of fun with this game, more fun with it than I've had playing some $60 games recently. So 
And it's multiplayer, and you can always get better at it, and so it does kind of have that unlimited replay value. So maybe 40 is close to being right. I think it, from what I've played so far, it would be much easier to recommend at 30. Um, how much, do, you, do you know how you get? How do you get in the beta other than being lucky? Uh, pre- I was contacted or? by PR, yeah. And they were like, hey, do you want to give this a spin? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. Plus there was, you know, at that point, I didn't think there right, was going to be. but what about like normal people? Uh, I don't know. I think you probably have to apply on, there's a lot of people playing it. So I'm guessing people are getting in somehow. I don't know if they have like a mailing list from the first chivalry and they send out codes to them or if mm-hmm. they have to request it. I'm not Is it pre-orders? Sure. Pre-orders, I believe, get you into the PlayStation one, actually. Now mm-hmm. that you bring it up. Um, I'm not sure about the PC one. Um, but my guess, it would probably be, yeah. I mean, if they're going to do it for PS4, uh, they're probably going to do it for PC as well. But again, you have to buy it on Epic, Epic Game Store. It is not going to be on Steam for at least 12 months. Uh, another exclusive for uh, EGS, and a good one at that. Um, I'm surprised you didn't play the first one, Matt, even though it was a multiplayer-focused game. It seems kind of... I mean, I played a bit of it. I just thought, I thought it was very j- janky. And um, m- multiplayer melee combat is not easy to do well and i didn't feel like they did it very well um at least for me uh, what you described sounds like they refined it more uh so that's good like i just don't care about redoing the same thing over and over again in a multiplayer setting like outside of like fighting games which are always different every round and over pretty quick like that like what you're describing is like oh and then you got to go to the trebuchet then you got to go to the thing like, i'm like i'm now I'm, I'm, I'm out i don't care like i don't i without any kind of stakes without anything beyond like win arbitrary game like i just i'm i lost that that ability to care about that several years ago why is that matt why do you think you've lost your your enjoyment of multiplayer gaming because i don't care i never really cared that much about it. it was more like to play with friends but also like multiplayer stuff especially like multiplayer like team driven like combat like you know like like you know on the ground combat stuff uh either you know ranged or melee like no one behaves like a real thing. No one be, you know, it's everyone's using weird tricks that are quirks of the game or the game engine to like have an advantage, like bunny hopping or dolphin diving and stuff. And it's, and it's all just absurd to me. Like it's just, it's, it's just people exploiting errors to get an upper hand to win something that doesn't matter. Dude, Cold and, War right now, Call of Duty Cold War, there is this device. I'm not even going to name it because it'll just encourage people to get it. But there is this device now that you can use where you plug your controller into the device. The USB on your controller goes into the device, and then the device plugs into the controller port. Activision cannot stop it, and it literally is a freaking aimbot and a rapid-fire bot. So, and, I mean, I don't know how many people are using it. All I know is that when I played Cold War when it first came out, I was doing very, very well. And I stopped playing it for like a month and a half. In fact, I missed all of season two um, as far as the battle pass and everything. And I just jumped back in like a few days ago to play it again. And look, I'm sure people have gotten better at the game. So it it makes sense that it would be more difficult later on. But some of the stuff I'm seeing, man, like where people just turn the corner and fire off like 15 rounds of their pistol in like a second that aren't machine pistols. Like there's all kinds of cheating going on in that game. And Activision can't do anything about it. There's no way to stop it because it's not in the chain. Because it's hardware driven. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing in the chain that Activision can detect. So, like, I hear you. Like, I'll be honest with you. Like, cheating and stuff like that is a huge turnoff to me. And it does discourage me from wanting mm-hmm. to play, like, multiplayer games. I totally get that. 
Also, but, I mean, I don't consider like you know bunny hopping and all those like little strategies to be cheating. Good. Like, yeah. but like it's just like it's just silly. Like it all just seems silly, and it reminds me constantly that I'm just playing a video game and none of it matters and everyone's just doing this way. You know, it's, it's not simulating what it's supposed to simulate and, and kind of put me in. It's just people playing, you know, you, it, it's, it gets to the point where it's like, it's too easy in multiplayer games for me to see the code. If you know, like, like a matrix style, you know, like, like mm-hmm. it just devolves into sort of an equivalent of like this falling green numbers. And I'm like, well, what am I doing? Like, I'm just, yeah, I might as well just be playing with stick figures at that point. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of breaks the theme. It breaks the immersion. It breaks the interest for me. And I just don't care anymore. Like I, I don't. And also that, you know, like you see, yeah, people just instantly, you know, like, like I would have assumed the same thing you did when I heard the friendly fire was on in Chivalry 2, that people would just be stabbing their teammates for no reason. Um, I was I, shocked. I, I want, I as wonder soon as I if that, saw team the, damage, I was like, oh, this isn't going to end well. Like, I wonder <laughs> if that behavior will become prevalent once it goes, you know, wide, you know, mainstream live and not just like invite beta. But you're right, because some people may be minding their best behavior because they don't want to get booted yeah. off the beta. It's or, fun. So, like, or I would be in bummed the, if I got booted off. I'll be honest. Or someone in the beta is just probably more interested in chivalry itself or was is more, you know, dedicated to the idea that they want to help make the game better. Right. And when you get to someone who's maybe just playing it to troll, it's going to be different. Um, I don't know if there's penalties for, you know, team damage or whatever, but, um, they're not very severe. Like you get mm-hmm. warnings that come up on the screen that says like, you know, team damage or whatever, but I haven't, I don't feel like I've been penalized for anything. Like maybe they could do something like make the spawn retime longer. Like mm-hmm. maybe if you do X amount of damage to your teammates, like it adds five seconds onto your respawn time. Like there are things that they can do. And I'm also mm-hmm. wondering if they just haven't instituted them yet into the game because they don't feel like they need to yet. I don't know. Uh, but so far, I haven't noticed any sort of punishment for team kills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've killed, I've actually killed teammates accidentally, you know, because, dude, you're swinging mm-hmm. like a nine foot pole. Like some of them will I mean, just that, dart that's a real in thing. and just get hacked to get their head hacked off. I mean, that's a real thing in, in all warfare, but it's yeah. a real thing in medieval warfare. You know, you, you yeah. didn't always know. Like that's why everybody wore the big, you know, the banners and the colors and stuff so you could hopefully. Someone could tell in a big chaos of a of a of a, of a scrum in the mud. You know, you don't you know somebody didn't know who you were hitting. Yeah, and in this game is the one team's blue and one team's red, so it does mm-hmm. make it pretty easy. And they also have little like um, triangles above their head that are color coded to let you know if they're on your team. Um, so I, it wasn't like a case where I was like, oh, I thought he was on the other team, but he was on my team. It's just sometimes you take a swing and some dude just runs right mm-hmm. into it and just off with your head. It just pops yeah, off. It's, ba- it's basically like oh, everything I said, plus like the, el- the added element of like the online question of like, well, did that really happen the way it happened on my screen or did it was it some kind of weird sync glitch? Like, yeah. uh, and, be- and once you pile all that on top of everything, like I just don't care if I'm better than someone else at these games. I just like there's no incentive for me. Like I'm not progressing you're not trying to be in um, esports tomorrow. i'm not trying to prove anything i'm not trying to, I, I it just gets to be like oh what am i doing like once i see all the mechanics of the game the game has to offer i'm like what am i here anymore like yeah. what am i doing i don't care about any of this the only thing i care about in that regard is really fighting games and again i will nine times out of ten play fighting games in person with someone Matt, online, I quit, I quit online fighting of is hard because of that um i have not played a match of league of legends in three months Hmm. And I mean, I had played it for like eight years straight. Yeah. And I have not played a match in three months because I got tired of dealing with teammates who were just toxic jerks. Hmm. I'm like, bro, I'm not trying to make like team phase clan. Like I'm here to have fun. And they're like, you know, people are just so angry. Just 
it wasn't even if they would berate me, just going after like a teammate and then the teammate quits and then you lose the match because some toxic idiot decided to yell at somebody over something stupid and now we're going to lose the match and everyone's screwed. Like I just got sick mm-hmm. of that happening. And in that game, it's worse because a lot of times they'll get in an argument in the chat before the match starts. The match starts, and one they are watching each other, and one one player does something dumb or makes a mistake. The other player jumps on them, and then they just go at it. And then you have to wait. Once one person quits, you still have to wait for like 20 minutes before you can concede the match. And if you just leave the match, then you're banned for like the next however amount of time. I just got sick of it. I was like... This isn't fun anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if you want to be an esports star, go play ranked. That's what it's there for. Oh, I want to test out this new channel. I don't care, dude. Like, you're ruining the game for everyone else. And eventually, I quit playing. I quit League of Legends because of its toxic community. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Like, I don't. You know, like, I'm not certainly not trying to say it's like, oh, if you if you play Call of Duty or Battlefield seriously or whatever, you play like like you're an idiot and you shouldn't like these games. Yeah, like, yeah. I, no, I don't think anyone. I, just taking that away. From you know, me. all power to everyone who does like these games. It's just not for me. And yeah. it's become less and less for me uh, over the last 10 years. And I just don't, you know. Like, it's like me with the Soulsborne games. Like, I don't begrudge yeah. anybody for loving them. In fact, I'm happy for them that they found a game that they love. It just hasn't worked out for me so far. So it's just the way it is. That's the way life goes. It's not just games. It's with mm-hmm. everything. Music, movies, whatever. And speaking of which, we're going to talk about a movie. But before we do, mm-hmm. uh, Commander Fett actually went and did some research. And he has discovered that uh, you can request access for the beta on the official site for Chivalry 2. So there you go. If you want to get in, just head on over to the website, and you can get in there. I'm sure you can just Google uh, for official website Chivalry, and it'll take you right there. Uh, I highly recommend it. Again, it's coming out on June 8th for 40 bucks. Um, if they don't send me a free code, I'm buying it. I'm going to be playing it. Maybe this turns into my replacement for League of Legends now that I've left that community mm-hmm. behind. Um, but I've had a ton of fun with it. I really recommend checking it out. I highly recommend getting in on the beta because I think, first of all, stick with it for a couple hours. Like I said, there's that curve where you're really having a ton of fun and then you start getting your ass kicked and then you start figuring it out. So there's that like up, down, up, and then it just goes steadily up as you get better at the game. Uh, So if you do check it out, at least stick with it for a couple hours before you say this isn't for me. But I think most of you people uh, will enjoy it a lot. Um, And I also kind of checked out like its lower resolutions to see how it scales. The game scales well. Uh, so if you don't have, like, a crazy rig to run it, you're you're good. Uh, the game still looks and plays pretty good on the low resolution. So uh, I was plenty impressed with it. I can see maybe why. But it is a good-looking game if you do have the horsepower. Yeah. Uh, I can see why um, it's taken this long to make it. And I'm glad that they did take this long because it's showing in the final product. So uh, there you go. That's Chivalry mm-hmm. 2. Next we're going to talk about, as I just said, a movie. And we hardly ever talk about movies, but and maybe the big reason why we hardly ever talk about movies on Game Face is because I think most movies are just terrible, to be honest with you. Um, at least most of the action movies that are based on gaming or other sort of cultural properties. And this week, the new Mortal Kombat movie came out, um, and it debuted on HBO Max. So if you have an HBO Max subscription, you can watch it for free. Also debuted in theaters, Matt, and did like was it twenty two million or something like 22 that? Twenty two million, yeah. Did you say Which you went a, to go see it? I did. I saw it at the Chinese theater. Awesome. And how was that experience overall going to a theater? I'm sure a lot of people who haven't gone yet are mm-hmm. curious what it's like. In I mean, it was time. it was good. It was, you know, it was twenty five percent capacity, so we had a little block of our um, our seats, and then there was like no uh, no one else around us for like six seats. Okay. In any direction, um, it was uh, very loud. 
I was not, I was not used to that. Again, I, was, I was like, Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Like, what the, like it, that was, it was, it was a little bit weird. Just like, Oh, I was not used to things being loud. I was not used to being in a room with that many people anymore. Uh-huh. Um, it was, uh, it was odd, but uh, it was good. It was, you know, it, it was nice to smell a theater again, which is something I never thought I'd say. Um, and a Chinese theater at that. It oh, definitely it's has its own aroma. <laughs> yeah. But also it's a, you know, it's, it's a full IMAX. The, the, the actress who played Sonia was there and oh, introduced wow. the movie and like, she was the worst um, character in the movie, by the way. <laughs> um, I thought she was. I have a tr- I have trouble qualifying that. Really? Uh, there was a lot of worst characters. That, um, that I would agree with, but to me, she was the worst of them all. Yeah, I thought she was. I thought she, as, as those all go, my 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 pick for worst is uh, not the actor because he was fine, but uh, it would probably be Cole, the main guy. Oh yeah. Who, whose presence in the entire story I still don't really understand. Like, I don't either. I'm like, so you just needed a, a guy to... What? Yeah. Also, so, like, it, it's a... Because it, you know, so it's a reinvention. The character in this film is not from Mortal Kombat. They created no, he's a, new, he's a, a new brand guy. new person. I don't even know if he's a character to lead this film. Um, I haven't researched it to learn why they decided to do that um i mean it's screenwriting 101 you need someone who doesn't know what's happening so the other characters can explain what's happening uh, to him and thus to the audience which does um, happen in exposition in the in the, in the original mortal kombat that's basically johnny cage um and there was some confusion when when he was announced that like why is johnny cage not in the movie but this rando is mm-hmm. um i think the answer is they already had one white guy and they didn't want the main guy to be a white guy in the in the market because they finally seem to have figured out that in the martial arts uh extravaganza inspired by you know old bruce lee movies and and shaw brothers uh, kung fu films uh you should probably have more asian actors in yes. it uh, Raiden, the Japanese thunder god, finally played by an Asian man, yeah. uh, which I don't think has ever happened before in any medium. Yeah, um, he's still very much just a white guy in a hat in the in the games. Um, I think the casting, so, other than I thought Sonya was not good, but I thought the casting, like the representations of the characters, yeah, were they, they, good. they looked like like themselves. Like I was, I was a little surprised to see Liu Kang be like an adorable good boy. Yeah. Um, but like, he also took that, a backseat compared to the other films as well. Yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't the main character the way Liu Kang usually is in these. But mm-hmm. but I thought that actor was good and and looked like him. As soon as he took the shirt off to do the 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 fight, the the training with Kane, I was like, oh damn! Like he he is Liu Kang. Uh-huh. Like look at that. Um, and I also like the him. Come, you know, when they first see him, he's kind of walking in silhouette, like yep. through the desert sort of thing. I'm like, oh, and you know instantly who, who that is. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's Liu Kang instantly. It's, it's great. And Kung Lao was a lot of fun. Like they were funny. Like they were the costume. They had a lot of good, good too, chemistry. Yeah, like they, where they were willing to make them look like the game costumes, they looked like the game costumes. Like, yeah. you know, Scorpion and Sub-Zero look 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 right. Uh, Shang Tsung is definitely identifiable. Melina looks good. Um, Cabal shows up with the most inexplicable, like, Brooklyn mobster <laughs> accent I've ever heard. But I'm like, oh, Cabal, cool. I, said, I mean, I was just yeah. surprised that he was chosen to be in the film because there's, there yeah, are I mean, several well, big characters that are not in the film. And I was like, really? Um, Cabal? Well, they've, got every, they've got everybody from the first game except Cage. Yeah. Um, and, and Well, we won't hmm? spoil that. <laughs> hmm? Well, there's, that's kind of spoiler related to this film, Johnny Cage. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Cage will be in the next one. Like yeah. they're, they're, I am too. They want, they want to do more. <laughs> no, um, they just signed four more, Matt. 
Well, no, they haven't greenlit those. The, the actors are signed for four. Oh, I thought the um, director was signed for four more. They're all signed for four, but that's like a if we do them, you have to do them. Thing. Okay, got they it. have not greenlit more Mortal got Kombat it, okay. movies yet. Um, they will. I mean, this thing was successful enough, both in terms of you know opening opening during the pandemic. And on HBO, HBO Max, the uh, Samba TV is reporting they got 3.8 million views, viewers that's, that's good. over the first weekend. In comparison, Kong, for Godzilla versus Kong got 3.6 million, and the Snyder Cut uh, of Justice League got 1.8 million. Sounds about right. Um, <laughs> be, yeah. Well, to, and and for comparison, you know, I know Snyder Cut was supposed to be the thing to turn the the whole HBO Max thing around and made them more successful than God or whatever, but like. Uh, the more, almost as many people, the, the max simultaneous viewing, like the most people watching Mortal Kombat at once on HBO Max is 1.7 million. So almost as many people watched Mortal Kombat at the same time during the weekend at one point than as watched Justice League total. Huh. Also, only only 36% of the people who started Justice League finished it. I only made it. I just saw it. When I went to watch this, I saw like the little like play meter at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I, I made it oh, yeah. less than a third of the way through the movie before I stopped. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, you're always way further behind in that movie than you think you are. Like, you, you <laughs> oh, we'll take a break. This has only been going for 50 minutes. What the, you know, like, yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically what's going on here is uh, the Snyder verse will probably not be restored, but I think we will see the Mortal Kombat verse uh, continue. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong as well. The monster verse as well, if they can keep getting the Toho licenses. I don't know if, to- I think uh, the Toho license for Godzilla for them ran out after this last movie. I think it was a four picture deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it might, there might be a, a license issue there, but Mortal Kombat can definitely continue. Um, the one thing I will say in terms of that kind of the continuing universe idea, um, I am real tired of Warner Brothers like approach to that where it's like, uh, there's always one character who has been doing all the research and knows the history, and there's been carvings of this thing and the lore, and this. And we don't know if it's real. It's like, oh my god, all the things happening now prove it's real, and we can't believe that, even though we've been studying it for years. That happens in Godzilla, the Godzilla movies. It happens in this movie. It happens in the Justice League movie. Like it's just, it's like yes, I know you desperately want a cinematic universe franchise to stick up as a tentpole now that Harry Potter ended and Christopher Nolan doesn't make superhero movies anymore. But like. You gotta, you gotta switch it up, boys. Oh, like, this it's, is it's, absolutely they're trying to make this like an yeah. MCU. I mean, you can just see yeah. it. Again, I don't want to spoil too much, but the ending of the movie, it's clear as day that they want to mm. turn Mortal Kombat into an MCU type of deal. Um, and to just kind of go over the plot of this for those of you who haven't seen it yet, um, it kind of it's, it's so we're looking at like the story mode right now, Matt. I know you can't see it for Mortal Kombat Eleven. Um, and it's interesting to see where the story in the games has gone versus where the story in this film is at this certain point. Uh, but it's a pretty basic story if you know Mortal Kombat lore. Um, the tournament is about to happen. The bad guys have won 9 out of 10. If they win another one, the uh, they're able to invade Earth and basically bring forth an apocalypse. Um, Shang Tsung decides that he's not even going to let that next match happen. He sets out to kill all the Earthbound fighters before the tournament even happens. And Although in this one, they at least like kind of give a nod to the idea that they've never actually Outworld's never actually won a tournament without cheating. Yeah, yeah. Like before, it was like, well, if you've won nine out of the last ten, why don't you just win again? Like, <laughs> like why are you so worried about this last tournament? Yeah, but well, in this weren't. one, like Shang Tsung basically says, 
like you think we've won nine in a row by like playing fair. Like, right. so it's like, okay, so that, that makes sense then. So the bulk of the movie is Shang Tsung and his cronies tracking down the fighters who are supposed mm-hmm. to participate in the tournament and trying to kill them. One of the it, main crony of which is Sub-Zero for some reason, which was an odd choice. But... Sub-Zero is his main henchman. Um, yeah. Sub-Zero is somehow an immortal ice god ice ninja god <laughs> thing like because the beginning the first scene takes place in like 1300s japan and like you see scorpion's family get murdered and right. there's a big fight it's all really good like the, the fights is. in this are really well done like yeah. they're 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 choreographed well they're not shot tremendously well if they in a, in a sequel i would like to see them um do wide shots more i'd yeah. like to see them just let them play out more like i'm a big jackie chan uh, advocate of like let the actors do this do the fight and just show it yeah like as much as you can like well, this cutting guy, this between is his hits first is film, not great wasn't it this director i believe i believe he was i mean that's uh, pretty crazy man the first major film what a project for your first film <laughs> yeah i mean it's not it's nothing it's not, it wasn't small um but it's uh you know they, they had a lot of good a lot of the, the cast was uh, a lot of them were chosen for their physical ability so uh and that shows um i would just like you know American martial arts movies have a tendency to, to cut on the hit, like cut, you know, somebody, somebody throws a hit and then it cuts to the next hit and then it cuts to the next hit. And uh, like Hong Kong cinema and a lot of Asian cinema tends to just let the fight play out as much as they can, at least three or four shots, three or four hits in a shot. Uh, and they enhance the, cause American like pro, uh, film production tends to think that if you cut on the hit, you've enhanced the hit. You made it feel like a hit that made the, made the shot cut. You hit him so hard, the the picture changed. Um, And and like in Asia, they tend to just do sound effects to, to make that work. And some people think the sound effects stuff is cheesy, but like if you use the right, if you have the right Foley guy, it's not, it it can really, really work. Uh, And if you watch any Jackie Chan, especially classic Jackie Chan movie, um, it's always more impressive to see the actors doing the fight yep. than to let the editing carry you. And I hope they focus. I and mean, I'm sure part of this is like, you know, they didn't have three months to train and choreograph for them. I'm sure they didn't have the time or budget. They, this was not a movie that Warner brothers was saying like, take all the time and money you need for your mortal combat feature. You know, it was like, it's yeah. not going to, now they might get more leeway on that. Um, but this was clear for what they had to work with on this. I think they did a pretty good job. I would not call this a good movie. No, I wouldn't either. But but it's fine. It's like, not it's terrible. Fun. That's what no, I would it's, say. It's, it's all it needed to be. Like, it didn't insult me. It didn't make me want to leave. It didn't, like, it wasn't like Godzilla King of the Monsters where I'm sitting there like, what the, why am I sitting here doing, you know, there's some places it, sag, places it sags, but in general, I was not, like, bored or anything. I was entertained or, the whole time. Yeah. I never even yeah. thought about, like, stopping watching it or turning it off. I watched it from home. I wasn't in the theater. I could have got up and walked away at any point. I never felt the urge to do that, which I... Literally, when I turned it on, I'm like, let's see how far I make it into this before I get disgusted by it. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the fan service, Matt? Because anytime uh, when you have something based on a property that's really popular, that's always, the director always wants to give nods to fans, but it can be very easy to go over the top. So there are moments in the film where after a kill, someone says fatality. Mm-hmm. Um, there are nods like that to it, and those were... Even as a gaming fan and a Mortal Kombat fan, those definitely stood out to me and they didn't make sense in the context. But do you think that they managed that pretty well? Like there are 
fatalities in the movie that are mm-hmm. extremely the, gory. Man, this movie is so gory. I just found out that it almost got an NC-17. I, I think for the most part, they they balanced that pretty well. With I thought they balanced like the, the fan service call-outs with like taking the, the, the concepts in the property and doing something new and interesting with them pretty well. Um, does it make sense that Kano says Kano wins for himself? Not really, but yeah. like... It's fine. Like it's it's a you know they're having fun with it. Is you know we're not making high art here. Um, I do also you know and some I do think if you're sensitive to like you know being able to tell when something is digitally added blood or intestines or whatever you're gonna be like ah it's just digital stuff isn't it? Yeah, but there is one major fatality. They, there is one major fatality they do fully practical and it's amazing. Uh, um, I'll have to wait after so. the show for you to tell me which one it was. Some yeah, of the it's fatalities. The one it's are- the main one you're thinking of. Um, the one in the sand pit. Yes, uh, that was done fully I could, practical. I could tell. Yeah, yeah, it looks amazing. I mean, some of the parts of this movie do look amazing. Uh, Goro's not one of them, though. He's no me. Goro's not. Although, if you go back to the original movie, he looks better than that. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, this look, a, this whole movie is the best Mortal Kombat movie ever. I don't think it's even close mm-hmm. to be. Honest. I know some people are gonna whine. Some people can be. I mean, look, I love the original. I love the '95 Mortal Kombat movie, but it's a. It's also a bad movie. Like it it's and. Uh, it's it's you know if I were to w- have to watch one of them I would probably watch the original just because it's over faster um, <laughs> and, and it and it uses the uh, it uses the the theme you know the music more uh, the uh, this does have a couple of call outs to the old Mortal Kombat the, you know the, that yeah. Mortal Kombat dance track um, that's pretty good like I was you know once. It's, it, it was it was fun to watch it with an audience because like early on you could tell no one really knew how to do this anymore. Yeah. And by the and by like the the big fatalities, uh, you were starting to see people clap and and, uh-huh. re- and react more. And then like um, you know when the when the music when the music hit during one of the big final fights, like everybody you know the whole audience, the whole theater like freaked out for a second. You know it was it was, it was people were remembering how to do that as a group uh, over the course of two hours, which was fun to see. I look um, at a lot of. I, I think there's just I'm, things where, like, like I would not have tweaked the lore in the same way they would have. They did, like, um, I don't understand why the Sub Zero Scorpion thing has to take place like 700 years ago. Like, I don't know why. Because yeah. then, like, you're like, oh, and then the baby gets away, and and you're like, oh, well, she's gonna become. The, no, that's gonna. We're just never gonna see her. Yeah, again. And, and so then Raiden's gonna like. I thought. Raiden, for, I kept thinking. I'm like, it's his son, right? This guy. Oh no, that's right. right. This is like, like hundreds oh, no. of years later. Right, it's hundreds of years later. And then like Raiden at one point like. Like, like, I kind of scolds Cole for like, like you're his, you're his uh, descendant, but you have nothing of him in you. I'm like, you're the one who took the baby, dude. When did you let the ancestors of him get away from you? Like, what like you, bro, I don't, just I don't know anyone seven hundred years ago from in my like family. a temple somewhere, like, just who, like you're doing with Kung Lao and Liu Kang. Who even knows someone from their family from seven hundred years ago? Like, yeah. Well, well I'm sorry, I haven't like, lived up to the expectations from my ancient ancestors. I'll and also, he's an orb. Also, you're you're the Thunder God. Why don't you just go get him? Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like there's a lot of stuff like that. This is like, and like I don't think the actual Mortal Kombat tournament happens. It does in this movie. No, nope, it like, never does. They sort of they sort of rig a way to make everybody have to fight each other one on one, which is sort of the same thing. Mm. But the actual Mortal Kombat tournament does not occur right. in this film. Yeah. Yeah, which probably because of Shang Tsung's cheating. Like that. That's, yeah. they, that's how they have to count. But I assume if in the sequel. There will be an actual Mortal Kombat tournament, probably in Outworld, That's now that they can afford too. to not take, have everything be on Earth in a gym. Again, the MCU, its they're trying to replicate the whole thing. Like, this was the yeah. setup film. This is where you get to know all the characters. 
couple big things happen, but they want you to ingratiate yourself to these characters so that when crazy mm-hmm. stuff happens on down the road, you care about them. Yeah, I mean, you can even tell that, like, um, you know, because Kano, Kano he sort was great, of serves, by the way. Best Kano sort of the serves film. the role of, um, I thought Kano could have stood to be a little less sexist, but um, it's it's in character with him, but you don't really need it. It was funny. Um, he was funny, though. I thought he had some A lot of most lines. of his stuff was funny. Like, a lot, most of his lines land, which yeah. is... The, the actor was really good, I thought. He was the yeah, best he, actor. He, the, the actor found the, found the tone for yeah. him very well. Um, but I think, like, he, he, Kano's kind of playing the Johnny Cage role uh, in this, where yeah. he's sort of commentating and being sarcastic about all the weird stuff that's happening. And so, like, I can see why, you know, after seeing that, I was sort of like, okay, I see why you saved Johnny Cage for a sequel, because you don't need two characters who do that. And you need someone in the second movie. Now that Kano's a bad guy, because he's not, you know, right. you, you know all, everybody finds their alignment by the end of the movie. Yep. Um, you need Johnny Cage to, um, you know, to kind be of be that in the next movie. Provide yeah. comedic relief, yeah. Yeah, he needs to be the guy when you walk into Outworld, is like, what? Oh, we never had sets this good. You kind of think, you, know, like, you need that kind of stuff with that character. So that's what, I think that's the role he will play. So I understood why you moved him out of there, because you didn't need two comedy relief characters like that. But, um yeah, I, I mean, I would, I will definitely see a, a second one. So will I. Yep. Uh, should they make one? Uh, like, I'm interested to see where they're going with this. I, I do think, uh, it, just in terms of just the story and how it all works and hangs together, I do think the the games have done a better job of that. Um, I think you know nine through eleven. What I mean, you know, when yeah. they rebooted it, when they soft rebooted it and like undid the timeline and redid the whole thing, and then started doing um, real story modes. Yeah, like I, I think uh, you know, like I think it, yeah, and then Injustice did the same thing. But like, mm-hmm. um, the rumors today that uh, that Nether Realm is working on a Marvel game. No. Oh. Like wow. a, a Marvel fighting game, which wow. would be very surprising since they're owned by the competition. But at this what? point, it's like that everyone sound plausible. You wouldn't think so, but I mean, Lego, Lego, you know, is owned by Warner Brothers, and Traveler Sales is owned by Warner by Warner Brothers, and they make Lego Marvel games. Wow, um, that's crazy. You know, the license is the, the license is the license. If Marvel's willing to do that license, then they and they're they the can best pick whoever they want. In the industry, and now, especially now that Onosan left Capcom, yeah. I guess you saw today he signed on with some mobile developer today. Yeah. What the? Um, How could he well, not get hired Marvel- by like the Tekken team or like anyone else? Um, because he's too senior for that. Really? I, I mean, he's, why he's, wouldn't you hire him just like if you're one of these Japanese publishers that creates a lot of like fighters, why wouldn't you just bring him in to be like the godfather of your fighting franchises? Like like Arc System um, works like because why? Uh, I SNK. mean, from what I from what I understand, mostly because all those teams feel like they know what they need to know. And uh, uh, I don't know how integral Ono was to a lot of what made those Street Fighter games good. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of in, you know there's a lot of stories told after a few beers in bars yeah. that I've heard about working with that yeah. and uh, yeah I haven't always heard know. good things about him to be honest with you working with him he's one mm. of those people that appears very affable he's on camera and when he does interviews and he's always smiling and I think yeah. that gives maybe a little bit of a false impression about how yeah he's that is the constant him. thing I hear it's like oh he is not that. Happy-go-lucky Blanca holding dude. Yeah. In the yeah, I mean he's he's a he's a Japanese businessman right. in a very cutthroat industry in a very competitive company. You do not r- rise as high as he did without having some kind of killer instinct, and that yeah. is not a reference. That is not a pun on killer instinct. The fighting game. I'm just saying, <laughs> um, he he you know, he he can play the game in a way that like you know, and part of playing that game is projecting that persona. Um, so you never know. And like I mean, for like 
for like Tekken, like Harada wouldn't know. <laughs> it's like uh, they're, they're, they, the, the Tekken guys are like, no, we got it, dude. We're well, good. they're probably loving the fact that he went to some mobile developer. Yeah, I mean, who knows what? You know, yeah, uh, who knows what'll happen next? Um, it's funny. Last night, I just watched like a you know the the you know that's there's that YouTube series, what happened. Yeah. Uh, for for games, I watched a, a video. I, I just it was on random select, and it just came up Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, and yeah. the you know the, the whole sordid story of what happened there. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, it's funny how much of that, uh, especially when you talk to some of the developers or uh, like who or the people who worked on the project, like how much of that seems like it was Marvel hmm. just being weird. Like you can't you use Fantastic Four, you can't use X Men. Naughty you, Dog, if, who went to work on um, Marvel's Avengers, just left and went back to Naughty mm-hmm. Dog. Don't blame him. Yeah. Like that's the that's the thing about um you know this you know I would love to see what NetherRealm could do with Marvel. Yeah, um, absolutely. But if Marvel's gonna be as pokey as they always are, um I don't know if you're gonna actually be able. You know, because one thing that you got to give DC credit for is with Injustice, they basically said, uh, "Here's a premise that doesn't impact anything that we're working on. Just take it and run." Yeah. And it worked out great. Yeah. You know, like it's sure. you know you. I feel like with the writers, they you know so a lot of the writers over there, I think, don't get enough credit for the Mortal Kombat and Injustice story modes they've done since in the last ten years. Like that's that's some like, you know, in terms of video game storytelling for a fighting game, like that is above and beyond in a it way is. that they just don't need. It's a low they, bar. We'll, we'll yeah, mention but, but that. It's like, but, but also, it's yeah. paid off in sales. Like those yeah. games sell ton, like way more than the normal fighting game does. I think fighting games need story modes. Yeah, because I think if you're you not into get, competitive yeah. fighting, there's not much there for you if there's no story mode. Let's yeah, be if, I mean, if you're not if you're not just going straight to the arcades, yeah. uh, and who would these days yeah. uh, outside of Japan? Like, uh, yeah, you need to give some value to that. You know, yep. Blaze Blue knows that too. Smart Blaze Blue story modes are very robust. Yep. Uh, so does uh, um, what was that? Uh, Mm, Smash. can't remember. Smash has a big story mode now. Smash has a story mode. Um, although I don't think they've ever quite matched no. Uh, melees. No, I'd agree. Um, I was, I can't remember what it was. It was the, it's the fighting, it's the, like the medieval fantasy fighting game that's based on that popular mobile game. Like oh, Grand something. Grand Blue Saga or Grand, yeah, I know what you're you know what I'm talking about. about. Yeah. yeah, that, that has a decent story I mode. I believe that's where Ona went, actually, to the studio. Oh, yeah, that, that would actually make sense. I mean, that place is jumping. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, you'll have to, you'll have to get a new figurine i guess for for some character that nobody recognizes yeah um that's a really good game though like that that i've heard that i haven't played i i I can't remember the grand art was it grand blue fantasy thank you mike's q yeah um i i I don't remember the name but i did play it for a while and i think it's very pretty and i mean i know guilty gear is gonna outdo it soon but i really did enjoy that one yep back to the mk movie though um i enjoyed it like I yeah. lately, like when I watch movies like that or like Godzilla versus Kong, I've almost created like this rate review system that I use. Like how many times did I roll my eyes while watching the movie? Mm-hmm. Like Godzilla versus Kong, I think it went off the charts because there's just so many plot holes and in, in continuity issues. Like it was insane. Like this one, I rolled my eyes at like the two like blatant Mortal Kombat references where they were just made no sense whatsoever. Like. Fatal Kano Fatality, like the couple of those, I was like, oh gosh. But for the most part, it's like it's obviously not going to win any awards. But it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Like I really thought it was going to be terrible, and it wasn't. So yeah, it's, it's it's like Roger Ebert used to say: when you ask me if the Punisher movie is any good, I know you're asking me how is it compared to other movies like the Punisher, right. not how is it compared <laughs> to the Godfather. Yeah. You know, like yeah. 
And in terms of like, you know, the tier that this that Mortal Kombat is operating on is pretty good. It is. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, so if you have HBO Max, I highly recommend watching it. And, yeah. Would I, I do think I do think the. I mean, I think Godzilla vs. Kong is worth watching for like the monster fights. The la- yeah. You yeah. Know, in terms of most, That's you know, why most I stuck Godzilla with it, movies. Those parts were so good. Yeah. yeah, most Godzilla movies are like that, except King of the Monsters. Yeah. Um, but like Mortal Kombat, like... Uh, like I'd recommend Mortal Kombat over Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, yeah. it, it's just it's less it's less stupid when the action stops. Yeah, frankly. Absolutely. Yep. So I enjoyed it. Um, would I recommend somebody take a date to go see it? Probably not. <laughs> it's really freaking yeah. gory. Well, but, it depends who your who your date is. Yeah. Yeah. If they know what Mortal Kombat is, sure, because it is very Every, true to the everyone I've ever dated except one. I would absolutely take to this. Okay. I would not take my wife to see it. I'll put it to you that way. <laughs> this is what I go see with the bros. I would sure. not take the girl I dated in high school to this. She was uh, she was a delicate delicate Christian girl. But <laughs> uh, everyone else, everyone else, after I learned from that experience and uh, chose more wisely, <laughs> uh, I would take everyone else I've ever dated to this movie. Absolutely, good. Like right. that's on my questionnaire. It's like, can you handle R-rated gore in a martial arts film? Yes, we're done. We're good. <laughs> we're good. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about something I never thought I would ever see, and that is playing my Xbox and seeing a screen comes up that says Sony Computer Entertainment Hmm. and then having the the PlayStation logo come up on my TV screen. I can't even put it into words. Like, I looked down at my controller. I'm like, yep, this is an Xbox controller. Yep, that's an Xbox. Holy crap. And obviously we're talking about MLB The Show 21. Uh, Sony's long-running, used-to-be exclusive to PlayStation, baseball simulation, launched for Xbox One and Xbox Series platforms in addition to both PS4 and PS5. Um, It is actually, I mean, even more bizarrely, it is on Game Pass. You can get it right now. If If you're a Game Pass subscriber, you can download it right now. It is Bizarro Land. It is 72 gigs. It is a very big game, but the good news for me is that I have tons of hard drive space on my Xbox Series X. So I mean, I'm about halfway full, and it doesn't use the XS. It doesn't use the Series X stuff, so it can go on my external, which is fine. But yeah, but it's still that, big, it's, big download. It's just mind blowing, though. Like to see, I mean, just first of all, it's like, wait, I'm using an Xbox, and I'm on Xbox's big service, Game Pass. And I'm being advertised. PlayStation is being advertised to me on this service. I mean, it's really bizarre. I've never seen anything like it, Matt. Like, maybe, like, some of the, like, once Microsoft owned Rare, allowing Rare to put out stuff for, like, yeah, Nintendo like handhelds. Banjo, like Microsoft held Banjo going on the, was it the GBA or the, whatever that yeah. was? So you know, that, Microsoft you know. didn't have a competing handheld. So it was a little it was a little weird to see like, you know, Nintendo stuff on my phone. Yeah. When when that stuff but came this, out. Yes, there's nothing like this, man. Like I I don't know. I don't I don't think this is all that mind blowing, but like I mean, I understand um, why they're doing it from a business perspective. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's because of what it is. It's because it's a sports game that they're just trying to just, you know, well, it's I will react MLB more demanded like, it. That's what right. happened. I will I will react more like you're reacting when they put God of War on the Xbox. Oh. Um, you know, like a, so a Sony franchise that defines Sony versus like a Sony franchise is like nobody else wants to make this. <laughs> like we're just going to keep making it. It's just that um, moment. And I appreciate they did. Up. I like the show. I really like this this series. But um, I thought I uh, did. 
until I started well, playing this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's not what it used to be. I mean, I don't think that's even it, Matt. I think it is what it used to be. I haven't played it for a while. Like, I would get it and maybe play, like, a game or two mm. and just kind of check it out. But I haven't, like, legitimately played it. And yeah, I haven't played it in a couple of years. Um it just got to the point where, like, it was silly to spend that kind of money on something that I didn't. You know, I used to play the road to the show, like, really for a long time every time. And it just – and it also helped because, like, it would come out right before summer and nothing came out during the summer. So it was, like, a thing to just kind of continually go back and play over the course of, like, the three months of drought, you know? Um, I just go back to my character and road to the show and play some games. And, you know, that was great. And now, you know, over the last several years, like, the last generation, like – the summer drought has become less and less of a thing, although maybe not this year. Like it's we'll been see when you brutal it. this year. I but think. like um drought. it got better and I was like, okay, but I just, you know, it got it was a full price game, a little more if you wanted like the bells and whistles, and it got to a point where I was like, eh, I've got other things to play, I got other things to do, and I didn't. Um, but for a while I really liked uh the road to the show stuff. It was one of the best it was the only thing to get me to play a sports game. Yeah, the road to the show mode is kind of the story mode in MLB the mm-hmm. show. You start out as like you start the MLB draft is happening. Yeah. yeah, you create your player. And you can actually like kind of guide which team you end up on by answering a set of certain yeah. questions in a particular way. It doesn't always work, but like usually in the in those old ones, I you know they'd say like, "Oh, what's your favorite team?" or like, "What team would you like to play on?" If you ideally, and you pick that, and you generally do end up on the minor league team that feeds that team. Yep. But then you got to perform well enough for that team to take you. And usually what would happen is like I would end up getting taken by some other team I didn't care about. You know, I'm like, I want to be on the Giants or the Dodgers, but I ended up getting taken by like the Diamondbacks. Well, you know, Matt, like that's... I'm a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. So Matt, no matter how poorly I perform in my minor league career, <laughs> they will take me onto the team. Guaranteed. And True. in fact, that's exactly True. how it worked out. I had no problems making it onto the Pittsburgh yeah. Pirates. Oh, I, I also end up um, a lot of times in the old in the other games. I uh, I ended up on on Tampa Bay a lot. Okay. I don't Rays. know what that says, but yeah. uh, well, it depends because one Bay year they win the World Series and then they win like ten games the next year. They're like one of those mm-hmm. teams that's up and down. The Pirates are just down. Um, so anyway, once I got over the shock of playing a PlayStation game on my Xbox, I actually dug into playing the game and Matt. We've we've talked about the phrase feature creep before, but mm-hmm. oh my god, oh my god, Matt! It took me almost twenty minutes to just look through all the modes and what mm-hmm. they do and what they are. It is insane. It's a lot, and all, I mean to be fair, this is sort of what we keep saying the war the wrestling games need to do, right? Right? Like you need to stick with it and continue to build on what you've done before. I feel like the show has maybe gone a little too far it in has. that direction. I mean, I'll be honest, it's overwhelming. And not only that, not only just the modes that you can play, of which there are just so many. There's Road to the Show, like I said, it's a story mode. There's Diamond Dynasty, which is like a dynasty mode where you create a team. There's March to October. That's also where the microtransactions are. Yep, exactly, and the cards. Uh, there's March to October where you just play spot moments throughout the season and try mm-hmm. to get a team into the playoffs. Uh, there's the old standby franchise mode. There's challenges of the week. There's a home run derby. There's a mode called moments where you just relive big moments from the past years of baseball. There's a retro mode. There's postseason mode. There's custom leagues. There's training mode. It is insane. Yeah. Retro mode, by the way, is what you play if you just want a fun baseball game. Exactly. I'm going to get to that, Matt. So 
it literally took me 20 minutes just to go through all the modes, figure out what they were, and figure out exactly what I wanted to play. And then I started playing the game. And I've played baseball games my entire life. Like, I will admit, I have not played them much over the last probably four or five years. So, I, you know, I expected there to be some things about the show that I had to learn. And I was excited about it, to be honest with you, learning new stuff in, the, in a baseball game. I hadn't played one for a while, seriously. But, oh, my God, dude. Like, ev- I had to, like, I felt like I had never played a baseball game before. So most baseball games, like the way it works, is when you're in the field, if someone hits the ball to you, you just hit the button corresponding to the diamond on your controller. So on Xbox, first base is B, second base is Y, third base is X, home plate is A. And that is how it works, except there's, like, these caveats to it. Like, there's a meter that pops up for everything in this game. Everything you do in this game, a little meter pops up, and they're all at different speeds. So the speed to pitch is really, really freaking fast. The speed in the field to throw it to a base isn't quite as fast as pitching, but it's still really fast. But it's just enough different to throw you off when you go to throw the ball. So, like, I start playing it. I'm trying to throw it to first. The guy, in fact, someone hit hit the ball out the left field. The ball drops in. I pick it up. I'm trying to throw it to second base, but it's just like... Not throwing it. It's just like doing a fake throw. <laughs> and it, I did it four times, and my guy went out with a shoulder injury. <laughs> I literally threw his shoulder out, faking the throw to second base. He forgot how to throw, yeah. and so then he broke I, his shoulder. So I have to Google it. I'm like, how do you throw to a base in MLB The Show? They're like, oh, you have to preload it. You have to hold it down before the ball mm-hmm. gets to like. So there's yeah. all these little quirks that are in the game that I had to completely like learn and or relearn. Yeah, that, those have been there in the game for a while, but like if you haven't played it in several years, I like that that's going to be new. Yeah. So I was a fish out of I water. I did basically what you just described when they first put those meters in the, in the fielding. Yeah. Like I was like, what's wrong with the fielding? It's like, oh, there's a meter now. Okay. Yeah. And so- I believe I don't know if it's in this one because I haven't played it yet, but like I know the in the previous ones that I played, you could turn that off and make it like a more traditional. So that's system. the other thing. I spent 20 minutes going through the modes. You could spend two days going through the options Yeah, the options have always been a little too much. And it's, I don't even uh, know what they are. Like, I have to Google <laughs> every one of them. Like, what the hell is this I like even it mean? when it's one that's just like, it's like 3B slash 1P489 basement. Yeah. And you're like, what? What is that? Like, you're trying to, like, decipher the code or whatever. Now you look it up, it's like... Uh, in case you want to be able to swap the third baseman and the first baseman between pitches. I'm like, why is that its own option? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's, so it's just loaded with that stuff. Like, you and I'm like, even... if you know more about actual baseball than I do, does that make sense? Is it's that a like, thing? I don't know. Like, I don't feel like I should boot up my first game of a baseball video game, and they and they hit the ball directly to my fielder, mm. and I can't throw the ball to first. Like, I just... Yeah, there was a uh, there was one. I can't remember which year it was, but there was one where they did a lot, made a lot of those changes, where they implemented a lot of that. And the, when you first loaded the game up, it started a game. Like you didn't even get to go to the menu screen, the the, the, the main menu, the, right. the title screen. It just started a game that taught you how each thing worked. Yep. It was like a quick they game. They don't do that in this game. Between it, and there's like this is that, and then this is this, and then you played you played like basically three innings, I think. And like you you know what you know, you did you did uh, batting and you did some fielding. And then you then the next batting they taught you more about how to bad and then that's only like more complex feeling by the end of those three innings you would kind of been onboarded into how the system worked and it feels to me i may, i'm sure they didn't know until later like that this was going to be on xbox but it feels like when you're expanding out to xbox and maybe pc this would have been a year to put that in again maybe i'm crazy i don't know i don't think you are crazy at all um 
So, and look, sure, after a couple hours, I had figured a lot of this stuff out. Mm. It had gotten to the point where I could kind of handle, like, an inning-to-inning right. game. But but there's a psychological thing about, like, you under, you know, everyone understands baseball, if you grow up in America, at least. Like, like there's an element of, like, I shouldn't be having this much trouble throwing a ball to first, first base. First base. And then thing. once you I know, even figured out, the, like, the preloading thing, then it was the meter. And, like, I'm yeah. standing 10 feet away from the first baseman, and I'm throwing it over his head. <laughs> you throw it, like, 500 miles an hour. It's, like, way off yeah. base, and the guy's safe. Like, it's, there's it's no a, it's reason a game of, for it's, it. It's a game of finesse. There's and, no reason and like, for it. If you don't want it to be, it's a, you know, you, you can change the options to figure. He used to be able to do. I don't know if you still can. I assume you can. It's um, this goes back to amp snowboarding, which was like a snowboarding simulation. And my point way back when it was like an Xbox launch game is no video game should make it more difficult to do something in the game than it is in real life. Period. Mm. That should be a golden rule that applies across all video games. And amp snowboarding was harder than actually snowboarding. This game, yeah. like I can, anyone can go on a baseball field and throw a baseball ten feet to a first baseman. Like yeah, it, like throwing throwing a, a baseball from the out, outfield to a base is one of the few sporting things I can do. Everyone like can I, do it. I have always been able to do that. I'm I'm pretty good at it. And there's an element of like, yeah, like you said, like when I'm playing a playing a video game, I'm like, I mean, I've gotten used to that the, the meter and stuff in this game over the over the years I played it. I probably wouldn't be anymore because it's been so long. But like that, I always did feel like that. I'm, I know you think you're trying to give me more control over it, but mostly you're making it more. Yeah, I don't want it. More I don't finicky. Need it. I just want to throw it to first base and get the out from a ground ball. Yeah, like, I just... do. I, whatever the last one I played, I do think I changed. If I remember right, I did change it to like no meters. And the face buttons just correspond to the bases. Um, I even had—I remember having to swap that on Road to the Show a couple of times because, like, sometimes, like in Road to the Show, because you only play your your player, uh, you only play the moments in the game where you're involved. And like when you're fielding, it puts the camera behind the player. And the default used to be that they would reverse the bases on the on the controller because they were backward. You know, the uh. second base. So second base was uh, X. And home plate was triangle because that's the orientation you were looking at it from as uh-huh. the base, as the fielder. And I could not get my fucking brain around that. <laughs> I was just like, no, we got to put just the diamond is on my controller and that's where it goes. Like you can't, I, I, that's yeah. all, you know, and so, and I'm sure other people are different. And like, you know, that these sports games need to offer like as much customization as possible because everybody thinks about this stuff differently. But, they do, um, or they can just find a user friendly way to do it. Like I, Again, you go and look in the options. I don't even know what to mm. adjust. There's so much crap, and it's all named so weird. Like, it became a job. So after a couple hours, I started to come around on it. But it took me like an hour to be able to pitch because a pitching meter is changes speed. It's like mm. on the way up, it's very slow. And then as soon as you hit that set point, it just comes screaming back down. Yep. And it took me like – an hour to get that timing down. And then I switched pitchers and had to learn it all over again. Like, yeah, everybody, every, all the different pitchers tend to have different timings, yeah. It's crazy. So anyway, I finally got to where I was like, okay, I can manage the game. I can, like, advance my runners the way I want to now. I can mostly field and throw to bases. I know how to do cutoffs in the outfield mm-hmm. and all That's that That's my biggest stuff. weakness in the, in that game, by the way, is uh, runner runner management. It's hard. I've never, I've never, I mean, it's hard in any way in real life. Yep. I've just never quite gotten the hang of how runner management works in that game. I just send them all. If you tap the RB <laughs> button, it just sends them all to the next base. If you tap the LB, it makes them all go back. Like, I don't try to get into, like, 
I'm sending this guy without sending this yeah, other you're gonna guy. Like, you're going to take second no matter what happens on this pitch, but you're staying on third, and you're going to – Yeah, like, I, I, can't, I don't do, even I try to do that. do that, Matt. It's way too much. And every game, baseball game, has done that differently too. They very rarely ever Yeah, do you never know what how they're going to handle that. Yeah, so I just don't do it. I just send them all or send them all back pretty yeah. much. All, even that, I, I'm like, just tell me how to tell them to stay. Yeah. That's all I need yeah, to know. Exactly. Like, just tell me how to tell a guy or not to run. I tap yeah. advance and then immediately tap go back. Right. <laughs> And that usually gets it done. So anyway, I got my head around the game, and then I just got to playing it. And Matt, I cannot hit the ball in this game. <laughs> I cannot hit the ball in this mm-hmm. game. I. It's hard. It's impossible. Because... There are three, again, three different ways to bat in this game. There's like one where you can like use the analog stick to like follow the ball and then swing like when the cursor lines up with the ball there's one where there's nothing on it at all and you're just supposed to, it's just like supposed to be like real baseball there's one mm-hmm. called zone batting where you're just kind of picking the zone where i it did yeah. not matter i could not hit the ball and i was like okay maybe my brain broke and i have lost all sense of timing by the way I played baseball my whole life, all the way up through high school. It was my best sport. I played All-Stars every year. I played AAU baseball. I was, it was my best sport. I didn't like it as much as the others, but it was the one I was the best at as far as like winning accolades and trophies and things like that. I know baseball. I can hit a baseball, a real baseball. I cannot hit the ball in this game. Like, I thought I was going crazy. I'm like, is my brain broken? Like, I can't time anything anymore? So I went and played the retro mode that we talked about earlier, which is the biggest piece of junk you've ever seen. (laughs) But it's very simple. It's just like the pitcher throws the ball, and he does have all his pitches and everything, and he changes speed, but it's like more of a top-down view instead of like the view from the batter. I was literally a home run almost every pitch. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I can still time shit. So my brain isn't broken. Maybe it's the game that's broken. So... I went on the internet and Googled can't hit ball MLB the shit. And just a, a deluge of results popped up on my screen. Nobody can hit the ball in this game and hasn't been able to for like the last two or three years. Like every guide for MLB, the show is how to make contact with the ball. Mm. Why do you well, make a game that way? They're trying to simulate what it's like to hit an, a major league pitch, but they're, they're going into the direction of, well, now it's hard. I mean, look, hitting a baseball off of a, off of a major league fastball is, you know, reputedly the hardest thing to do in athletics. Right. Um, that in part because goalie in the NHL are the two yeah, most difficult. In part because, in part, both of those things. In part because the you know the ball the the the, the time between a, a pitcher releasing the ball and a and a ninety nine mile an hour fastball hitting the catcher's glove is faster than the human nerves nervous system can react. Yeah. So you and are the basically is really small. That's the other part. Yeah. That's why they call it a pitch a duel between the pitcher because you basically got to start to swing before you can see and register what the pitch is going to do. Yep. And so your ability to predict what the pitcher is going to do in that situation tends to be more important than your ability to keep your eye on the ball. Um, and the same thing with hockey. Like, you know, that, that puck comes at you faster than you can think, and you just got to do it. Um, yeah. But the thing is, like, my my difficulty, you know, I was I had similar trouble trying to play, trying to hit the ball in the show when they changed their the batting system to kind of what it is, more or less what it is now. I assume it's still pretty much the same after the last couple of years. Um, and my problem was like, I'm like, I'm the same as you. I, I played baseball. Like I can hit a baseball or I could back in the day. I used to go to the batting cages for fun. All that kind of, you know, I can, I can hit a fucking ball. Um, oh, by the way, the B-roll is showing right now. In fact, I'm just going to rewind it very mm. quickly. 
it just showed the part where I faked the throw three times <laughs> and my guy got injured. I didn't realize it was actually in the B-roll, but you guys got to watch this. He won't throw it to second base. He drives it three times, doesn't throw it, and then the, the pop-up comes up that says he's injured. He's hurt his shoulder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, for me, it was – eventually I realized, like, it was my – it was depth perception. Like, I couldn't tell where the ball was because yeah. of the angle. Yeah. You know, and like you say, the, the retro one puts it up a bit, and you yep. can see the distance more, and you can – you know, it's obviously simplified, but you can – so, and like without your brain being able to know when that ball's released, when, you know, the tiny little white pixel on your screen, like when it's coming towards you, like it makes it way harder, which I think what the zone system is supposed to mitigate, but it doesn't really do the job very well. And like, I don't super mind it because I got used to it and I could kind of more, you know, I, I could make contact. I, my batting averages and on base percentages were pretty like reasonable for a real person right. uh, in the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do enjoy the old, the older games where like, sometimes I was basically just like the best baseball player in the world kind of thing. Whereas yeah. it's like, like my guy has like a, has, you know, has like a 600 batting average yeah, right power now. Fantasy like a, for sure. Right. Um, but I also appreciate, you know, I understand that they're trying to make it more realistic, but like that sure makes it a lot harder to get drafted by the team I want to get drafted by. Um, but like, yeah, no, you're, I mean, you're right. Like it's, it's very, very hard to bat. It's, you know, and the fielding got harder when they added the meters, like, like the show, you know, the show without any customization, you know, if you're playing on normal and not like casual or whatever, um, you are basically playing baseball. But yeah, you're playing a sim. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a sim in a way that most other major sports games are not. Yeah. I mean, it's so bad that there's a, a mode called moments. I mentioned it earlier where it literally just goes back through the history of baseball and it's like, OK, here's Willie Mays and he needs to get at least a double or here's Hank Aaron. He needs to hit a home run. They're like the first like few um, objectives in moments mode. And the first one I did first time, like they just threw up a handball and I just knocked it out of the park and got the home run. The next one where I needed a double or better, I could never beat it. Hmm. And it, it, it was on rookie. Like I went and looked and the pitcher was on rookie. I could not hit the ball. I tried all three of the batting options. It didn't seem like it mattered. Like I would hold the analog stick to the outside of the plate when they'd throw to the outside of the plate, and my dude would, like, swing like it was inside. Like, I don't even know, man. It was so frustrating. I was like, I can't hit in this game. And then I thought it was me, and I went and looked, and it wasn't just me. Everybody is frustrated with playing the show, and they can't hit either. So I don't know. Like, I'm not a hardcore baseball guy at all at this point. In fact, like, I never watch baseball anymore. Even when I played baseball – it was my least favorite sport to watch. I was just good at it, and I actually did enjoy playing it. Because one thing, I mean, even when you play baseball, it's mostly waiting. But one thing I liked about baseball that was different from other sports I played is that potentially you can be involved in every play. So in football, if you played on the right side and they rammed the ball to the other side, you don't do anything. Mm-hmm. You just patty cake with that guy for like five seconds until the play ends. In baseball, you never know where this ball's going. I always played second base or shortstop. So. It was nerve-wracking. Every pitch, the ball could be line, could be a line drive right back at you. I liked that about baseball. That was what I thought was cool about it. Other sports, not so much. Basketball, if you don't get the ball, you just stand there, or maybe you try to get a rebound or whatever. In baseball, every play, you had to be paying attention and focused, and I liked that about it. I do not enjoy playing this baseball video game at all. And look, maybe I can go into the menus and spend two hours tweaking stuff and get it to a place where I enjoy playing it. As it is, out of the box, I had a horrible time with it. Um, now, the good news is 
if you're an Xbox owner and you have Game Pass, it's free. Which again is just mind blowing. Not only am it's I playing, free except for the uh, except for the obscene amount of time it's going to take you to download it. Right. Yeah. And if you have bandwidth caps, it might put you over your cap. Yeah. For don't the don't month. don't push your bandwidth cap for this game. No, I would say definitely do not do that. Um, but it's just insane that this game not only is available for Xbox, it's free on Xbox. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll never forget the feeling. Which of means I'm going to play it again. Yeah. Like, well done. Like, yeah. For whatever kind of a win that is for whoever is involved. Again, again, like we do remain a little confused about the business model there. But it's the first show. It's the first MLB the show game I'm going to play in like three years. Yeah. And a lot of people are going to play it for the first time, like ever. So, Mm -hmm. and there are cards in the game, like Ultimate Team. Yeah, that's one. So, so here's my big problem with this this year's show. Um, They changed uh, Road to the Show in a way that I really don't like. Um, in that the player used to be able to create multiple players and take them each through a different, you know, you'd, okay, this guy's gonna be a pitcher. This guy's going to be a shortstop. This guy, you know, you basically pick what they were going to do in the game. The, one of the things they wanted to change in this version, this, you know, this year's show was they wanted you to have a, a character that could do everything. And so you could just like load in different loadouts to make him whatever good at whatever you wanted him to be good at to do whatever position you wanted to play. Um, you know, fair enough. Okay, fine. Yeah. The problem is, um, road the character you use in Road to the Show and the character you you use outside of it, like in in like uh, uh, Diamond Dynasty, same character. No. So what they did was, you know, skills in this game go up to ninety nine. You can let, you start at zero and you level them up to ninety nine. You can only level up your created player to to fifty in his skills. In Road to the Show, to go up to 99, you need basically gear from Diamond Dynasty. You have to grind Diamond Dynasty to get his skills above 50. And of course, what do they really want you to do is buy the stuff to get the rare gear to get him up faster, so you can have a, a player who's better and can get through Road to the Show. But so they're basically trying to to shunt you into the microtransactions so you can get further in the uh, in the career mode and. Uh, I mean, that's why it's on Xbox, let's be honest. Like, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's standard practice for sports games at this point. Certainly anyone who played NBA, the NBA 2K games is going to be like, yep. Like, that's how it goes. <laughs> well, well, welcome to the fucking show indeed. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> but like, um, but I don't, I, that really bothers me. Yeah. Like if, like I, if it wasn't on, on Xbox, Game Pass, Matt, that alone would potential to make money off of those microtransactions from that huge installed base. Yeah. Like, like, but the, the, if I wasn't, you know, if it wasn't already on Game Pass, that alone, if, if it had nothing, if none of this Xbox stuff, any of that had happened, that alone would have prevented me from buying the game. Yeah. Even okay. if I was interested to buy it. Like, yeah. it, it was, that is, I find that to be a very sleazy way to, to way to do that. Now, the one thing I will say is if you've been playing the show all along, you're probably sitting there saying I'm crazy because you already know how to play it. You know how you've already set it up the way that you like it. You know how to go in and tweak the stuff to get it exactly how you want it. I'm talking to the noobs, and there's going to be a lot of people playing this game for the first time who have maybe never played it before who are like, wow, there's this baseball simulation on my Xbox, and it's free. I'm just telling you, before you take the time to download that 70-plus gigs, that this is the stuff you need to think about. I have not enjoyed playing the game really at all, to be perfectly honest with you. I will say this. It is gorgeous. Like, Mm -hmm. beautifully gorgeous. Like, my wife was watching it as I was playing last night, and it made her laugh. Watching the crowd made her laugh 
She's like, oh, look at that guy. He's like hiding in like this. And like, it is pretty crazy. The crowd in this game, I was like, they're all doing something different. And they're all <laughs> reacting to each other. Like, it looks really good. Like, you're only watching it. If you're watching a stream, you're watching 72060. Um, and you're watching the archive, you're watching 1080p. It doesn't do it justice. In 4K, this game is a stunner. There's no other way to put it. And to get him to get it done and ready, and I played it on Xbox Series X, to have it look that good the first time on Xbox, it's impressive. Sony San Diego, to get it ready for four platforms um, in a year's time, really impressive. And again, if you're a show fan, like I haven't found like bugs in the game or issues where if you're a longtime player of the game, you'd be all pissed off. Like this is just totally someone who hasn't played that game for several years coming back to it and realizing, Oh my God, like I can't even play this game anymore. So there you go. If you don't have um, Xbox series consoles, you don't have game pass. It is $60. It is a full price game on PS4 and PS5, which I'm sure is going to dig real good into some PlayStation fans out there. I mean, think about that, Matt. I mean, if you're a PlayStation fan, aren't you kind of sitting there right now saying, shouldn't this game be free on PlayStation Plus? Um, sort of. I mean... Yeah, the, I, you he's, are. He's like, you're like, we'll wait see, a minute. I guess. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, if you even know what Game Pass is at that point. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, the, the mechanics of that are so weird right now. Um, you know, and MLB being the publisher on Xbox maybe changes that scenario a little bit. But I like, mean, maybe in two months we do get it free. Maybe I don't know, or at least some kind of version of it. You know, like a bare bones thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just just the mode with the microtransactions. Um, what could, what could it hurt to let people <laughs> play Diamond Dynasty for free? Right? You know, that's exactly what they would do, though, Matt. You're exactly right. Yeah, I hope not. But anyway, no. that's MLB. Also, like show for 21. me, someone who has played the show a fair amount, like what you're describing is funny because, like, yeah, you're just describing the game yeah. to me. Like, like, yeah, like I'm not. You're not wrong about any of that. I just, I just played it to the point that I can deal with all of it. You know, I just know how that all works, yeah. um, and I certainly understand the sort of sticker shock of. Uh, diving into this thing and being like wait what do they do <laughs> like what is this like it's it's its own beast now absolutely and for sure. no competition so yeah yeah there's no there's no there's no guy you know sort of like madden there's no uh they'd have no reason to, to change. change yep although if maybe if they had changed they wouldn't have had to put it on xbox to make mlb as much money as it wanted Zing. maybe although I, I think being stuck on one platform is was going to be a problem no matter what eventually there's just more you know, there's more people, there's more more eyeballs and more wallets to get out there. And if I'm if I'm a major sports league, I am definitely going to be wanting you know to expand into multi-platform play. Um, I just feel I feel like MLB had no you know no leverage for so long just because no one cared about you know baseball. You know was you know there was a period where everyone was like, oh, is baseball going to die? Is like there's going to be no yeah. more baseball? You know, like uh, it doesn't seem like it'd be that dire anymore. It's you know it's no. It's not going to be football. It's never going to be football. TV ratings last year were terrible. Like, yeah, it's worse but everybody's ever, TV ratings. But they've been but everyone's up TV ratings are terrible this year. They've been but, up this uh, year for some reason. MLB. Yeah, why? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea why. It makes no sense. Uh, but anyway, that's MLB The Show 21. Again, it's available for PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X. Let's move along. We're going to talk no about PC version of that. What'd you say? Are they doing a PC version of that? No. So far, it's not announced. No. I wouldn't be surprised if they do. Um, and it should be easy for them to get it to run on PC. But as of right now, a PC version is not announced. Uh, mm-hmm. Not Cirque. Thank you for Twitch Prime, brother. I just looked down and just happened to see that in the chat. Thank you. 
Um, all right, let's move on. We're going to talk about Resident Evil Village again. And I don't know, maybe some people are getting sick of hearing me and Matt talk about it, or Matt and I talk about it. Um, I'm not, because with every new demo I play, I like the game more. Um, a third demo went up this weekend. Um, this one took place also in the castle, like the first one. Uh, but this one really is more in the castle. Like the first one, you start kind of down in the dungeon. You have to solve a couple simple puzzles to get up into the, the castle. And then basically, as soon as you get up there, it pretty much ends. This one, you also start in the basement, but you get in the basement, and then you very quickly figure out how to get up into the castle, and most of the demo actually takes place in the castle proper. Um, Matt, did you have a chance to play this by any chance? No, I actually forgot about this entirely. Oh, you did? And I I wouldn't blame you, Matt, because it, once again, it's another one of those weird timed things where Mm -hmm. it's available only for PlayStation users, and it goes up in, like, the afternoon... And you have until one in the morning Pacific time to finish it. And once again, you can only play it for 30 minutes. Yeah, I was I had scripts to write while this was up. And by the time I was done, I was like, oh, it's because I never I didn't uninstall the demo because it had the timer on it. Yeah, after the last demo ended, it's like, oh, four days or whatever until the new demo or whatever. So I'm like, okay, I'll just leave it there and load it up when that. And by the time I had time to play, it was already done. Yep. Um, well, and I, I think there's going and I because I forgot that like oh I I, I don't know why I, I mean I knew they did the timing thing I just didn't think it was going to be that short again and I know they extended it for the PC now. Well, the other thing too, um, Matt, is that it just automatically downloaded the new one. I didn't have yeah. to like go and choose like demo three and download it because I had kept that app on yeah, my PlayStation. Yeah, it all seems 5. to be self-contained somehow. Yeah, I had that app on my PlayStation Five, and when I went there, it was just there, ready to play. Yeah, which is cool, I think. Um, yeah, it'd be even cooler if they just left them there. Right. Well, you so, play them. So here's the thing. I know Xbox fans are probably pretty salty about this game, the way they've handled this, and I don't blame you, um, because all the demos have been exclusive to PlayStation so far, but they are coming to Xbox and PC, I believe, this weekend. Yeah, and, and I, re- I read that they're going to be longer available so on those platforms. They, here's the thing. You have an hour to play them, but it's still, like... If you want to play like mm. two demo, you get basically if you have thirty minutes for each is what it comes down to the way they're going to do it. <laughs> but if you like one demo more than the other, then you could conceivably spend more than thirty minutes time on that one demo that you actually want to play. Um, and if that is the case, I don't. I mean, honestly, I don't think it, it's not hard. I don't think it would be hard to finish all three of them in under an hour. No. Like, also, like I'm just going to wait a week and play the fucking minutes, game. So. Like I'm, I'm done with this weird artificial scarcity digital thing yeah, that I they're agree. doing here. Like, I'm just going to play Resident Evil Village when it comes out. Like, that that first demo was fine. Like, I'm more or less convinced I'm not going to tap dance to Capcom's demo schedule here. Like, I'm just going to play the game. Yeah. Um, so this demo only took me 15 minutes to finish it. Um, it's not very long. Although, as you're seeing in the B-roll right now, one of the cool things is you finally get your first chance to meet up with Duke. And Duke is the... And I was surprised that he was inside the castle. I thought that he was going to be out in the village, and you have to leave the castle, walk down to the village to visit him. Apparently not. He is just tucked away in a room inside the castle in this demo, at least. Not sure if that'll be in the final game. Um, But they do give you a chance to kind of go and check out his store and kind of see how it works. So first of all, as soon as the demo started, I picked up... You can see that wine glass there. Um, all the junk that you pick up, you can take into him and you can sell it to him. Now, not the scrap and stuff like that that you use for crafting, but other items. And you can sell them and you can get lei, L-E-I, I believe it's spelled in the game. 
And then you can use that lay for a lot of stuff. You can use it to buy stuff. And if, if you watch here, I end up buying a shotgun, and I buy a bunch of shells. And then I and you could also use it to upgrade. And so eventually, I go and I upgrade the handgun. I end up upgrading the reload speed because to me, in Resident Evil, that is one of the most important things that you can have is a quick reload, uh, because they don't the clips generally aren't that big. And uh, when you need to reload and they're bearing down on you, every second that it takes to reload that weapon can make a big difference. And the cool thing I would yeah. say, too, is I noticed when I actually started playing later on that it changes the animation of the reload. So instead of taking a clip out and then reaching in and putting a new clip in, you hold the clip that you take out while you slide the new clip in. So they've actually gone like the extra mile to actually change the reload animations for when you upgrade <laughs> weapons, which is cool. Um, that's the kind of Lay stuff is uh, Romanian currency, by the way. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Very thematic. Yeah, very thematically appropriate. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I end up buying a shotgun. I buy a bunch of shells for the shotgun, and then I upgrade my handgun's reload speed. And I may end up making the right choices because you don't really get any shotgun shells through the map, but there's tons of handgun ammo. So I had, basically I was waffling on just buying like 60 handgun shells or buying the shotgun and a handful of shells because the shotgun shells are really, really expensive. Um, so anyway, that's what you can do at Duke's. Um, after I played this demo, Matt, I went on Twitter, and I basically just expressed that I am very, very excited for Resident Evil Village. And I was kind of surprised at the responses that some people had given me. Um, one person said he felt like it felt like crap to play. And I was puzzled by that, because I feel like the aiming in it is really snappy and really accurate. Yeah, I, I liked what I, I only played the last week demo, but I liked it. Now, I will say this. Which the, is not a thing I will say about Resident Evil every time, right, believe right. me. Well, I was surprised when we talked about it last week, and you were like, I like it. Um, I was yeah. really surprised to hear that. So I feel like the aiming is really snappy. I mean, you can see in this footage, like, turning speed is not a problem. It's very quick. It runs basically pegged at 60 frames a second on PS5. And then he also said, the running feels sluggish. And I do agree with that. Yeah. It's not even that it's slow. It feels like he's running, like not straight or something. I don't know how to explain mm -hmm. it, but it like, it, no, I, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I know what you mean. It feels like he's intentionally like running, like kind of leaning in one side or to one mm -hmm. side or something. I, I feel like I'm always fighting with the analog stick to keep him running straight down like a hallway. And I don't know, but I have a feeling that might be intentional because that ratchet up the tension because it does like this demo to me was crazy intense, more intense than the last one. Because you get – so the first conflict that you have in this, you, you go back down into the basement. And you're down in kind of like that dungeon cell area where the very first demo took place that you had to get out of. And you get down there and you get surrounded by not like zombies or lycanthropes, like these crazy almost like goblin-like enemies. And they don't go down easy. Like they don't go down with like one shotgun blast to the head. And you realize that very quickly because you get surrounded by them. You pull up your shotgun and they don't go down. You're like, oh, crap. So you run. And I think that's one thing about this game that I think may bother some people. Because one of the comments I got back on Twitter was that I wasted all my time trying to fight this enemy. And when it turns out that, like, I just needed to run from the enemy. And I do think that that is a common problem mm -hmm. with this game in general is knowing what the game wants you to do. Now, it may not be that big a deal when you're not on a timer, like a demo, where you only have 30 minutes, and you're like, I want to see the whole thing, and I end up wasting all my time on this other thing that, you know, because I didn't know what I was supposed to do. It may not be that big of a deal at the final game. But I would agree 
that there are times in this game where I don't know whether to, as the lower third says, fight or flight. Um, it can be very confusing about whether the game wants you to just run away and get to some door that triggers a cutscene, or whether you can legitimately take down the enemies. And one thing I would say, too, is that playing prior Resident Evil games leads me to believe that if I do well enough, I can take down those enemies. Because a lot of Resident Evil games in the past, like, I would run from stuff, and then I would see later on that somebody's like, oh, no, I killed it. Like, you just got to do blah, 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 and you can actually kill that enemy. And I think other people are like me, and they remember that stuff, and so they stay and fight, thinking that they can take down the enemy. And I do think, in a couple instances, in one instance in particular in this demo, I think you cannot kill some of the enemies in the demo. Um, maybe if you had, like, a machine gun or something, or a, an RPG, maybe. But I think, you know, if you're trying to use a handgun and a shotgun, probably there isn't enough money in the demo for you to buy enough shells for you to actually kill some of the enemies. Now... The goblins I was talking about, I did kill them all. And then Mitch, as you guys all know, who worked with us for a while, he replied on Twitter that he couldn't take them down. But I, it didn't sound like he had bought a shotgun and a bunch of shells like I had. So I didn't have a problem with them at all. And you'll, you'll see it here in a minute. I drop them. Like, I do the old trick, Matt, where I get them all chasing me, and then I get to a hallway run to the end of the hallway, turn around, and wait for them to all have to, like, group in through the hallway, which is mm -hmm. the classic Resident Evil strategy. Um, just get them all in a hallway and mow them down. And it works in this yeah. game, too. So Just uh, endless piles of zombies at doorways. Yeah, so I didn't have any problem taking down the goblins, but some of the daughters of also Matt, I believe Ethan calls the tall lady Demesque. Like, he doesn't pronounce her whole yeah. name. Yeah, the, it's 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 a Romanian pronunciation. I can't remember. I looked it up after last week's show, and it is like you basically don't pronounce the the U at the end. Yeah, it's like he calls her when he's talking to Duke. He called her Lady Demest or something like that. Like he cuts Demesque. out like yeah, yeah. Like you basically don't say the U at yeah. the end of it. And it's a K instead of a T. Like anyway, it's pronounced not like how we thought. That's for sure. <laughs> we weren't even really close in the end, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, there is a little bit of confusion, I think, in the demo. I don't know if the final game will make it that way, where you're like, you know, should I fight this thing? Should I run away from this thing? I think that's always a conundrum you have when you're playing Resident Evil. But all of that just combines to just make the game as intense as all get out. Like, I was on edge playing this whole demo. Like, like for instance, you crawl out of a hole. Oh my gosh, there's the tall lady. What should I do? Is she going to turn around and come back in the door if she hears me? Like... And then you start getting chased. You're in those tight quarters. Those gremlin-like goblin things are all over you. You're trying to run out of there. It's a maze. It's dark. You can't find the stairway up. You don't want to go back and get caught up with them again. You get out of there. You're dealing with the sisters all the time. You don't know if you can kill them or not. Like, I don't know, man. I think this game, as of what based upon what I've played so far, is going to be freaking awesome. And I am really, really excited for it. Um, totally understand that some of you may not be. It may not be your cup of tea. Um, so far, the mix of puzzles with combat, I feel like has been pretty perfect for a Resident Evil game so far. And as you guys know, I'm not the person who goes in playing games expecting X, Y, or Z from a game. I generally just go and play it. I've just enjoyed the mix so far of the puzzles and the combat. Um, and, and no matter what I'm doing, the game is just tense. I feel like I'm on edge every moment I've been playing this game in all three of the demos. It just... It's just got something special about it that I haven't felt in this franchise in a really, really long time. And I am really excited 
to play the final game. And the good news, Matt, is it's only like a week away. It's almost here. Yeah. I, I, you know, I only played the one demo, but like, I, I wouldn't say it. I thought it was tense. I don't think anything is tense. Um, but what I will say is for the first time since probably Resident Evil four, um, I'm interested like what it's, what it's showing me, uh, you know, the, the situation, the characters, the world, the, the puzzles, the world design, like what I'm doing, the enemies, I'm interested, which is not something that happens every time with Resident Evil. Um, like I want to, I want to keep playing to see what happens next and see what they show me next and to see like what else is in this huge map and what other enemies past Lady Demetrescu are in here. Like, um, like I'm in, I want to see what happens, and that has not been true of a Resident Evil game for a very long time. Yeah, uh, so I got I got to give him credit for that. Like I, uh, and I, I I mean I do think it plays fine. I, I I you know I I will certainly criticize a horror game for being annoying in the controls department. I I, I see what you're saying about the the running or what they were saying about the running. Like there is a, there's a camera shake thing where he kind of moves back and forth a bit and like. I, I, I had a, I had a, an instinct at the beginning to like try to overcorrect for that until I yep. realized that it's just, it's just sort of a cosmetic thing. Like you, you don't need to move him like left and right to, to counter the, the head bob sort of. Um, but I understand why that would be, I mean, I think you can turn that off, but like um, I understand why that would be irritating if you're sensitive to that. Um, but overall I thought it was, yeah, like you said, that was snappy and it looks good and uh, it's interesting. Again, like I, I don't know where they're going. And that's like refreshing. It's like, I, you know, I'm not already like, okay, he's the T virus and this is some weird Wesker thing. And it's like, you know, and maybe they do get into that. I, hope not. Go, I really hope right they stay now, away from that crap. Right now it's like new ground. Yeah. It's new ground for a Resident Evil game. And I, I can't, I don't have anything bad to say about that. So, yeah, I've been really enjoying the little parts that I've been playing. I can't wait to see if the whole yeah. thing is satisfying. And there's, and there's like a verve to it. There's like, like they, they feels like the people who made it are excited about it. Yep. You know, like, like it feels like they, they got to do some new stuff and they're like, oh, here's some, you know, they're breaking outside of the mold a little bit. And like, it feels like, uh, it feels fresh, not just in the sense of it's like a Resident Evil approach that I haven't seen before, but it feels like the people who made it were inspired to make it yep. somehow. Yeah, and then in IGN, it was uncovered this week, and there are a series of exclusives on the game that the lady is just one of four like mm-hmm. sub-bosses in the game. So this whole chapter that you play with her, I don't know if you end up killing her at the end of it or if she gets away mm-hmm. or you get away or what happens. I would definitely like to see her recur through the through the game. But, like, yeah, it really feels like, it, like yeah, we've barely seen Barely scratched the, the surface of the game, yeah, which has me really, really excited for it. Um, I hope you guys are excited too. It seems like it's mm-hmm. been a while since we've had a game like this that, uh, which again really does remind about. me of like, you know, the trek that Resident Evil 4 was. Yeah. You know, like where you started, you know, it's kind of the same thing. You, you know, most of the, the preview material of 4 was just the village and that early stuff. And like, you go so you far playing beyond it, that. You're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, where's all this coming It's just from? going, it's just on and it's on an and not a bad way. You yes. know, not, not, it, it's it, it just like endlessly new stuff to see and more stuff to do. And it just it all kind of unfolded pretty organically. And if that's sort of their inspiration, what they're going for, yeah, bring it, bring it on. Yeah, it's like most Resident Evil games, they take place like basically in one location and outside mm-hmm. that location. Like, Resident Evil 4, like, took you on an adventure. It took you someplace mm-hmm. different from where you've been before. First of all, to start, you're in, like, Ro- I think it was in Romania, too, wasn't it? Uh, it's Spain. Spain. In Spain in 4. Yeah. 
So they take you someplace you had never really been before. There was indoor and outdoor environments, and you end up traveling and going all these other places. Like, if this game is like that, which it sure seems like it is, I am all in, man. I am mm-hmm. really, really excited for Resident Evil Village. I'm really glad it's on my fantasy team, too. <laughs> I'm yeah, starting I think to play that's going to work out just fine. Yeah, I think it's going to work out pretty well for why I drafted it. And it's, uh, The funny part is now I'm actually glad that uh, at least one of my games isn't going to make it this year because I get It Takes Two to add to my team, which it mm-hmm. sco- which scored higher than like my last like six picks or whatever. Yeah, it's so funny how strongest... it ends up working out in the end. That's easily the strongest final pick in the history of the fantasy draft, I think. <laughs> Definitely. And it was all luck. I didn't think it was going to score that high. I was like, you know, it's a unique idea. They're good at co-op games. It'll get at least like a 7.5. Nope. Yeah, I was I was thinking, like, oh, that might be a, you know, a decent 80. Yeah. And there's part of me that just refused to have it on my team because I hate that guy. Right. But like, <laughs> like, but it's just like, it's... um. I get it. No, that was, I, you know, I credit where credit due. He hit that one out of the park he did. and got rewarded for it. Yep, absolutely. All right, so that's the latest on Resident Evil Village. Uh, I'm guessing this will be the last time we talk about it until we get our hands on the final build because there are no more demos coming. Um, you guys may want us to talk about it again because a lot of you are finally going to be able to play the demos that we've been playing hmm. if you haven't owned a PlayStation all this time. And it does suck, and I do think it's a shitty practice, and Capcom should stop it. The timing stuff about, like, you have eight hours to play it and only 30 minutes, that's dumb, too. The whole thing is dumb. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that I had a lot of fun playing those three demos, and uh, I hope you guys, too, do, too, whenever you get a chance to give it a whirl for yourself. Uh, next up. A game I never thought we would ever be talking about on Game Face, Matt. And that is Shadow Man. Do you remember <laughs> Shadow Man? Oh, yeah, I remember Shadow Man. Do you remember the whole story behind it back in the day? How it was supposed to be an N64 exclusive, and it was mm-hmm. in development for a long time, and then it got delayed. And yeah, then it, it was like one of the games that was shown before the, when it was still the Ultra 64. Yeah, like, it was made by Acclaim who had a great mm-hmm. reputation on the N64. In fact, of third-party publishers, probably the best reputation on N64. Which is funny, considering it was a claim. Right. Um, but back but then... Turok, Turok uh, bought them a lot of uh, a lot of goodwill. Turok, Turok 2 was also really mm-hmm. good, other than like the defective cartridge problem that it had. <clears throat> Everybody had to return all their cartridges and get replacements. Uh, but Activate, or Acclaim was... They didn't have to do that. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They had to. There was like a glitch where like your saves would get all corrupted and they had to completely replace mm. them all. Um, but anyway, Acclaim I, was... I, I did not do that, so I wonder if my uh, car... I got it launch day. I your wonder cart if my cartridge may be is worth broken. more money than other carts, absolutely, mm. um, if it's not one of the fixed ones. So anyway, everyone thought it was coming out in 1998. That was after it had been delayed once. 1998 comes, it doesn't release, and then it goes like radio silent. And then it ends up coming out in 1999 along with a PC version and a PlayStation 1 version. And then, later on down the line, a Dreamcast version came out. And Mm -hmm. the reason I wanted to play this one is because I played it all the way to completion back in the day, and I really liked it. And I feel like it's one of the N64's most underrated games. Uh, But two, I I just wanted to look at a remaster of a Nintendo 64 game. Because Mm -hmm. we don't really get any. I wanted to figure out if they are viable or not. And other than Mario and Zelda. What? But other than, like, we, we got Mario and Zelda and 64 remasters. Yeah, on the but, 3DS, uh, right? 3DS. One on the Mario, you know, Mario 64 was in the collection just now. But was that even a but, remaster? Uh, yeah. I guess it I mean, kind of was. 
yeah, it's an up res like cleaned up thing. You know, yeah, I mean that game... Shadow Man's got a lot more work going on it, but it, but like, but I like, I know I, I get what you mean, and that it's like a non Nintendo N sixty four game. Yeah, that isn't that like very kind of simple, flatly shaded, simple mm-hmm. geometry um, things like, like Shadow that. Man's a pretty decent example of like a, a mildly ambitious third party game of the era. Yeah, I mean it's probably one of the most ambitious on N sixty four to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like it, the main thing I remember about it was. Um, it, it had some real graphic sex scenes for an N64 game. Uh, yeah, I was a little surprised by that. I think it's a pretty that. graphic game in general. The setup of the plot is, and this is based on a comic book that I doubt even exists anymore. Oh, um, no, it does. Oh, it does. It's Valiant. Like, all those, all that stuff came back a while ago. I'm surprised. Uh, Shadow Man, I mean, it's, it's owned by DC now. Or not okay. DC. Was it? For a while, some of this stuff was was there. I think, I think it's his own thing now. So what uh, you're seeing no. right here is Jack the Ripper, by the way. The guy in the white shirt is yeah. Jack the Ripper. And there was a whole thing with the Valiant thing where Acclaim bought them after the initial comics collapsed, and that was why they were. That's why they, uh, Acclaim was doing because um, Acclaim was putting their own comics out for them. That's why we got a Turok game and a Shadow Man game and a Armorines game. Oh, that's right. Uh, those were all <laughs> Valiant properties. Yep. So anyway, uh, basically, as Shadow Man, you're a guy who can go between the realm of the living and the dead. And what you're watching right now is the devil basically shows up to talk to Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper was about to kill himself. He explains to him, I need people like you to help me bring the land of the dead into the land of the living and bring upon the apocalypse. So essentially, Jack the Ripper becomes one of the five rider horsemen, whatever, of the apocalypse um, that some of you may be familiar with from biblical lore. Um, And then the objective is the devil continues trying to add serial killers to his group so he can get to the full five. And as Shadow Man, you need to go to the Land of the Dead to stop him. You need to kill the serial killers before he can get to them and have them do what Jack the Ripper did, which is join his side via suicide. Um, You have a teddy bear that allows you to go between the land of the living and the dead. Um, This woman that you're talking to right now named Nettie, she is like a voodoo priestess. She is the one who has installed the thing on your chest because you owe her a huge debt um, but she has installed the thing on your chest that allows you to go to dead side and back to the real world. Um, and that's the basic setup for the game. And the game does take place in two different realities. You go to dead side, and at first when you play the game, you think that's where the whole game takes place. But a good bit in, you get to the point where you can go back to the real world and actually use your Shadow Man powers back in the real world. Matt, what I never realized playing this back in 1999 is that this is a Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. playing it again in 2021 with all my knowledge that I've accumulated and everything else, as soon as I started playing it, I was like, this is a Metroidvania. It's a Metroid clone. I never connected those dots back in 1999, <clears throat> not even for a minute. Maybe part of it was that Metroid had basically disappeared from the face of the Earth back then. Um, but Shadow Man is absolutely a Metroidvania. It has crazy labyrinthine level design. And one thing I will say, so to my original question of, is remastering N64 games worth it? I would argue no, because really the biggest problem that I found in this game is everything looks the same, because they have mm-hmm. to reuse the same textures over and over and over again because the N64's texture memory was so minuscule, and that was something that the expansion pack helped with, blah, blah, blah. But the vast majority of N64 games have the same textures over and over, and when you get into the, the dead world in this game... Every hallway looks exactly the same, and they're all, like, Mm -hmm. winding around each other. All the objects are the same. Like, 
every bridge. I mean, that's, this, that's just the N64 right. in a nutshell. Right? right. Every bridge is the same bridge. So you yeah. get to a point where you're like. Definitely do, if you want to do like a ground up remake of this thing, right. I bet you could make something oh, way yeah. more interesting. Oh, yeah. Like remakes of N64 games, totally fine. I'm talking about remasters where you just mm-hmm. up-res the textures. Like, they didn't even do any work on the character models. Like, every character's head in this game is basically a cube <laughs> with a texture plastered on it. Like, now mm-hmm. they did do, I don't want to sell, sell this short, because they did do a ton of work. They took three levels that were cut from the original game and not only brought them into this, but in some cases finished them. Um, mm-hmm. And there are there are objects that you collect in this called Dark Souls, Matt. Like, I don't know if that's where the name of this of the game came from, but... The, I'm pretty sure it didn't. I'm pretty no. sure it didn't as well. But like Mario's stars in this game are called Dark Souls. Mm. And not only did they add a few Dark Souls to the game because of the extra levels, they also redistributed them throughout the entire game so that those new three levels mm. that they've added aren't bereft of stuff to collect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's all these little like pod looking things that you collect. All of this stuff results in you getting new upgrades that then mm. let you get through a new door that leads you to more again metroid it's a total metroid game yeah the, the reason i think the reason you didn't notice it was a metroidvania at the time is because symphony of the night was like one year old right and um be. no one the, the term metroidvania hadn't even been coined till like 2000 mm-hmm. um but i should have picked up other, on it's like metroid somewhat but that's the other thing is like the term metroidvania was invented to apply to castlevania games that are like metroid right like a Metroid alike was a different thing. And it just sort of has morphed to mean everything related to Metroid. Um, and like, also like Metroid just was such a non-factor by that point. It was. You know, there hadn't been, there hadn't been one. People since weren't even really asking for Metroid on N64. No, like super, super, Nint- super Nintendo already did it. Uh, had, you know, Super Metroid was sort of like, you know, everybody liked Super Metroid, but like, yeah, you're right. I don't even really remember people asking for Metroid. On Nobody that was angry that we didn't get a Metroid game for the N64. No, like at most it was like, a, oh, it's weird we didn't get a Metroid. Oh, well. Oh, you know, that's it was right. Like, we didn't get one of those. Yeah, that's like yeah. how it was pretty much. Um, but anyway, this game is huge as well. Like I remember back when I played it in 99, it mm-hmm. took me probably 30 hours to finish the game. These things were like, I mean, especially the stuff at Claim made were like, they were bigger than you might give them credit for. Like, I mean, you know, Turok 2 was like that too. It's like, it was huge. It was too those, big. Those levels were gigantic and there was yeah. nowhere to save. And like, you could play for an hour and then die and you lost all your progress yeah. from it. It's like, it was very frustrating. This game is kind of um, like that too. If yeah. you die, like you can save anywhere, but it doesn't save in the spot you're at when you save. There are checkpoints. Mm-hmm. And if you die in this, like a lot of times it takes you all the way back to the beginning of the level. And as you guys yeah, are probably and these are not this, like modern levels where it's like, oh, there's one way to go and you're going to get it's like, no, these things were mazes like this is the yeah. this is old school 90s, like doom style level design. And the mazes all look the same because they're all using the same textures. Right. If you get so easy to get <laughs> lost in this game, like that's which brown why, hallway am I in? I exactly. Yeah. That's why I ended up stopping playing the game because I got to the point where I'm like, all everything looks the same. I have no idea where I am. There's no map that shows you like like each path. It's like a general map that shows you like the whole dead world or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's eventually what made me stop playing it. I got turned around in one of the levels and I was like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go and I don't care. <laughs> because the other problem that I'm sure you guys have been seeing in the B-roll is the controls in this game are different than like the controls were in Super Mario 64, for example. If you hold left or right in this game, you don't turn right and then start running in that direction. You strafe. And so... It's very hard to like line up for jumps if you're moving because if you even tilt the stick a little bit to the right or left, 
they think you're trying to jump to the right or left, like almost like strafe jump, so to speak. Mm. Um, but this game get, eventually becomes crazy, like deep and in depth, and gets very confusing. I remember it in '99. I struggled to finish this game. Eventually, you get like these power ups that give him tattoos that allow you to do like it. It it also like MLB The Show 21 eventually devolves into feature creep, and all the and it's one of those games where all the terminology that's used for everything, there's no connection to it because it's all this, like, weird, cryptic, like, biblical-slash-voodoo, like, phrases that they use to describe everything. And it starts to become very confusing about, like, where you're supposed to use this to unlock this door and having to collect, like, you know, you have to collect stuff to open some of the doors in the game to get into new parts of the level. Going back and trying to find that stuff with no map becomes very annoying I mean, I could maybe see playing through this again if you had a guide that was like step by step and a map. Mm-hmm. But I do remember, I think there there's was a reason a... those strategy guides used to sell so well. Exactly, like a strategy guide for this would make it a lot more enjoyable. To be perfectly honest with you, and then obviously there's the technical limitations. I will say this though: one thing I did discover playing this is that design can overcome a lot. Just the design of a game. How this game is a Metroidvania, and how you find something, and you're like, oh. I know where I need to use that. I go back here and I use it here and now this door unlocks. That design really never gets old, man. It really doesn't. It, it. I think 100 years from now, I'll still be able to play Metroid clones and enjoy them just because of that design. And I think this game does it pretty darn well. And I think in, in some cases, it will be enough to get people through the game. But the technical side of it, it is so primitive. Like I just, I really don't see... N64 remasters as being viable. I just don't. Um, remakes, sure. If you want to rebuild the game, like I think this could be a great remake. It never had a, a big audience. A small studio could get the IP for next to nothing. All the design is there. You just have to make everything look pretty and work a little better. That, I think, would be smart. But just like taking an N64 game and even retexturing it, it's just not enough. Um, it just feels clunky to play. I mean, it's it's, it's been a long twenty some years. Twenty two year, twenty two years since this game came out. Um, and I will hand it to him. Like I think it was Night Dive Studios that did this, and they are kind of the kings of doing this stuff. Um, they did do a lot of work on it. Probably more work than they should have, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, it's an interesting choice. If they're um, not going to go all the way, I think they went too far. Especially since, like, Shadow, I mean, Valiant has had a bit of a resurgence in recent years. Uh, they've been doing new new books. Shadow Man, ha- Shadow Man had a brief series in like 20, that ended in like 2012, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shadow Man is not going right now, though. You, you remember the uh, that Vin Diesel, was it Vin Diesel? The Bloodshot movie? Mm, I don't, remember that last year? I don't remember it, no. Uh, Bloodshot is a um, is a Valiant character. Okay. Um, Valiant's one of those series where people are like, how? Why is this not you know in the superhero movie boom? How come there's been no Valiant image stuff? Um, Valiant had like that and Turok and Magnus Robot Fighter and all these characters that you think would would translate well, but they can't get anyone to fund anything. Um, Shadow Man would have not been my my pick, but I guess probably because the Turok remasters have done well so yeah. they're like what else we got and it's like this or armorines and you're probably gonna go for this <laughs> yeah um like you know like i like seeing the valiance i have a i have a soft spot for the valiant stuff um just because uh it was hot when i was in high school and working at the comic shop and like uh you know there, there was there were points when like certain issues of these things these valiant issues were like worth hundreds of dollars 
Um, and it was bizarre to see because nothing had done that for years at that point mm -hmm. outside of like the death of Superman. Um, so I always love these things a little bit also because like, you know, like you said, Turok was good. Like it was kind of identified with that era of the N64, even though the comic that that point when they when the ownership transferred to a claim, the comics got terrible, but uh, the games got good. Uh, so that was OK. But uh, it's also like one of the only things that a claim did that was really worth a claim at the, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't there was a reason that they were referred to online as Ack Lame. Yeah, nobody uh, even knew like how the, how to spell it because their logo made it look like it was a A-C-K or whatever. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> if you, but, you go back and look at old games coverage from that time. Most journalists misspell acclaim. It's pretty bizarre just because of their logo, the way that it was. Mm -hmm. um, how much is this? Uh, it's twenty bucks. That's about right. I would, yeah. I don't know. I think you sell it for ten bucks, honestly. I mean, I think like what you talked about with the amount of work they put in for the ad. It's like you get that feels like you're going to end up at a twenty dollars price point. It feels like you're going to end up at a ten dollars price point pretty soon. If you want to you sell know? it, you're going to end up at a ten dollars price point. Because yeah, I will well, say this, like it I'll is. I'll see you around Halloween. I feel like this will be ten bucks in like Halloween sales this year. I also feel like looking at this game, it doesn't look very inviting. Like I know you can't see the B-roll, but it's it's all brown, I mean, I red, what and Shadow black. Man looked like. Yeah, I remember what Shadow <laughs> Man looked like. I have no problem understanding what you're saying there. Is it, it didn't look inviting then? No. You know, like, yeah, it's not one of those games that you look at and you're like, I want to play it, but it is very cleverly designed and it is long. Mm -hmm. um, like I, I don't remember if I finished it on N sixty four, but I definitely played a lot of it and liked it. Like I, I was, I remember being surprised because I was never a Shadow Man comic fan. I didn't, I, I like Valiant, but I, the Shadow Man was never one of the ones that really grabbed me. Um, also, like the the Shadow Man from the era of Valiant I'm familiar with was like a like a like a long haired white guy. Uh huh. Uh, the Shadow Man for the Acclaim era was a huge reinvention, so like that's one of the reasons I played it was because I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about this Shadow Man. What's this about? And it was definitely a more uh, interesting take on the concept of the character. Um, this is character that kind of walks between life and death. Um, yeah. And uh, I like, you know, like I, I would not have also picked it as picked it out as a Metroid game at the time, but I'm sure that was why it kept me playing was that treadmill of, of upgrades and exploration. Yeah. But like and it you does say, that very well. The pacing of all that stuff is very good. Yeah. As long as you don't get lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, getting, I mean, getting lost, I, I think, I mean, getting lost was just sort of a element of video games it was. at the time. You had to you be know, a lot more just, patient back that's then. That's just what sure. happened. And but it got uh, you know, worse I, in this, this era because yeah. the texturing on PlayStation or N64, they just didn't have the texture cache. You'd be able to mm -hmm. handle a, a bunch of different textures. So well, texturing and also like you know there was there was often no no like in game map. Yeah, and a lot of the times like you know the as developers realized they can make these levels bigger and bigger because three D didn't really you know it's just it's just vertices and coordinates. It doesn't right. really take a lot of memory you know to hold that. I think that's what happened with stuff like Turok was like Turok two was like oh we can make these these levels gigantic yeah. and like. Bigger is better, right? And it's a certain point you're like, no, I just, I don't, you know, I'm missing one child I have to rescue in this level, and I don't know where I am anymore. You know, like, there's no way to know where I need to go. So uh, that became a problem, you know. And and I think this era of stuff like that, like exactly what you're talking about, is why we then ended up shifting to this like the game's going to hold your hand and be more yep. attentive to like showing you where to go. Thing like if you complain about, you know, that there's markers that show where everything where where to go and, and objective markers and so that comes from people being frustrated by games like Shadow Man. Yeah. You know? Yep. If you go back and read any of my game reviews from like nineteen ninety six to like 
2000, 2001, one thing that I'll mention in every single one of them is texture variety. It was a thing. Like, some developers were good enough to get texture mm-hmm. variety out of these consoles. Rare. Freaking wizards. Rare did, for sure. Look at a Banjo game and all the different textures in that game versus this game. And Acclaim was one of the better developers on N64. Like, mm-hmm. Rare were truly wizards on that platform. Um, yeah, Rare and Factor Five were in their own category. Yeah, but, yeah. like, these guys, I mean, Acclaim wasn't bad, especially they Iguana. They were far behind, yeah. Iguana was really good. I mean, yep. but you did, like you say, you ended up, the problem was you ended up in these mazes that just had no identifiable landmarks. Yep. And like, you know, it's like it wasn't your fault you couldn't tell which intersection was which because like there was no way to tell them apart. It was apart. like you get to a bridge, it's the same exact bridge right. you saw last time. They've literally just copied and pasted it yeah, later it on the in the level. the same object they've put in the yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And a lot of times they were the same length. You know, it wasn't even like they didn't even have like different lengths of bridge. It was like, this is a bridge and it's like, and we're gonna make the gap and the every same single distance gap is 10 every feet long. time. Yeah. <laughs> it really, it really is crazy. I kind of enjoyed going, and again, I, I get nostalgia when I play stuff like this. It reminds me of so many things. It reminded me of my first website I launched in 1997, Street Level Gaming, and covering this game and being like, "It's coming next year," <laughs> but and then it didn't, and then it was delayed, and then it reminds me of like it came out and I finished it like right before I graduated college and got my job at GameSpot and moved out here to California. It just brings back, like, all this stuff. And so mm-hmm. I enjoyed that part of it. The actual playing of the game, not so much. I also, you know, after playing this, I question, really, if there's any reason to have, like, an N64 micro. Like, you know, we kind of already went through this with the PlayStation micro. Um, some of these games just don't mm-hmm. age well, unfortunately. That, I think that generation... Is- I always thought it would have trouble, especially the PS1 stuff, frankly. But like, it's just, you know, it was, there was a lot of growing pains and a lot of learning curves in terms of making, you know, the first generation of 3D things, you know, on consoles. And um, I think there is a cream of the crop. You could kind of, you know, skim off the top and make a pretty good N64 micro, but a lot of it is licensed stuff. A lot of it is, you know, esoteric stuff that may or may not interest someone who has never played them before. I, I realize you're not making these micro the consoles for someone. For those games, like they may be is lost. That too? I mean, but you can still just dump the ROM. The source yeah. source code doesn't matter. But like, um, you know, I got a shoebox over here full of N64 games. When was the last time I opened that thing? Probably a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, I went through a period where I'm just like, ah, I want to find a way to get my N64 to plug in through an HDMI cable, and I did, and I played some N64 games. I just did that with my Dreamcast. I, I just got an HDMI adapter for my Dreamcast, and then I today I got the Castlevania I got one for game my leaks. Do you see that? I did. That's awesome. Um, I mean, I saw the footage of it. I'm not going to bother. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't look good. I mean, yeah. I, def- I was very disappointed when Castlevania Resurrection was, was canceled. It's cool that it surfaced, but it looks like it's more of a demo kind yeah. of thing. It was an E3 demo. That's all it is. Yeah, but yeah anyway, but, uh, Castlevania Resurrection, the prequel to the first Castlevania, and a full 3D game that was supposed mm-hmm. to come to Dreamcast was, was demoed at E3 1999, never seen again, canceled because obviously the Dreamcast had a tough road there. Um, it just reappeared. Full playable build, the E3 build. You can look it up online, dig it up if you want to. It's out there. And you can play it mm-hmm. if you want to play it, which is pretty cool. Uh, so I anyway. just got a uh, converter. It's a, a converter to HDMI for the GameCube, which uh, I highly recommend, especially if you don't have the digital component cable, which is like worth like $300 now. Yeah, it just keeps uh, going you, up. You can, get, you can get this HDMI converter for like uh, 19 bucks on Amazon, and it looks pretty much just as good. Wow. I'm surprised to hear that. I didn't think it would, but... 
because the way the N64 works with like it's like interlacing, like it's hard mm-hmm. to get that stuff to work with it. But. They seem to have figured something out with it. It took forever, but I, this this thing does it pretty well. That's good. All right, let's move on to our last topic of episode 253. I'm going to hit my marks this week, Kyle. After two weeks of going way over with this show, I'm hitting my mark this week. It was a big focus of me for me for this week. I'm going to do it. Our last topic of this week's episode is near replicant. I'm not even going to go through the crazy string of 1. digits. 1.24, 223, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what any of that is. I um, still have no idea why they would name a game that. It makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, everyone just calls it near replicant. It's not... Mm, and that's what cares. we're going to call it, Kyle. <laughs> it's called near replicant. Now, I did I did not get the code from Square Enix until yesterday. And uh, I had was playing. I, I don't know if you guys have figured it out. I played a lot of games this week. I just talked about like four games that I played. I also played this one, but I did not get that far. I think I got about three hours in because Matt mm-hmm. told me that he was on it. And so I was like, okay, I'll play it enough so that I know what, what we need to talk about. But I'll let Matt carry that conversation. And here mm-hmm. we are the conclusion of uh, episode 253. Matt, you have finished the game, correct? No, God, no. Oh, you haven't? What are you talking about? This is like an 80-hour game. <laughs> I I'm thought like that 12... you had finished it already. Oh, no, 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 no. I would, ne- I would never give you that impression. I, I've played I played like 15 hours of this. Okay. Um, I mean, I did finish it, you know, on 360, like back in the back day. Back in the day. Um, the, which was, you know, the version of that what we got before in America was uh, near Gestalt. Yep. Um, because there were two versions of this in Japan. There was near Gestalt and near Replicant. And in Gestalt, you play an old man who's the father of Yona, the the sick little girl. And in Replicant, you play her older brother, who is a, a hot young pretty boy. Uh, and for whatever, and so that was uh, the Gestalt was on PlayStation and Xbox, and Replicant was only on PlayStation, or maybe it was on both in Japan. But at any rate, only Gestalt came to America, came to the West. Uh, replicant stayed over there and and so we know this as a game where you play as a grizzled old anime dad uh and then this this is a full remake of the original which were which is the one from playstation 3 which was the um you play as the older brother the pretty boy brother um otherwise they're the same game pretty much it's just that they're you know in terms of the old games they were the same games just you had a different main character um, the remake, uh, remake, remade everything from the ground up. This is not a remaster. This is a, a, a full remake, and a lot of the combat has been tweaked um, to make it a little more in line with what we saw in near, near Automata or Automata or however you want to pronounce mm-hmm. that. Um, so it's more like, recognizable as that. Um, it was funny that like the big Returnal demo the footage came out this week. Uh, because this game is also kind of a bullet hell action adventure thing. Um, like uh, it also has a talking book, just like it takes book. two. What, what is yeah. going on with the talking books right now? The history just repeats itself. It's just a cycle. <laughs> just no, which is very thematically relevant to near. Yes. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, near yeah. This so this is a, this takes place before Automata. Uh, Automata takes place like in the future that it results from this game. Yeah. Uh, even though if you play them both it's it can be hard to see the connection but it's there i promise we if just you, showed you, if you a play for automata actually to kind of link the two games together yeah yeah if you play this game to full completion and get like the third ending you will more understand how they connect up they'll also connect up in terms of art style because they are clearly by the same people they are yeah. clearly they you know, look by this yeah the art style is very similar the the kind of destroyed uh post-apocalyptic situation is similar the the um 
just the kind of hovering weirdness of all of it is similar. Like there's a, there's just sort of a weird, like, uh, Taro, you know, Taro has a, has a continuous sort of like weird discomfort he intentionally creates in his games that I really like. Um, it's just sort of this thing, like nothing quite seems right. There's a little like weirdly off kilter thing to everything. But the premise of this, like the game starts in, um, like it's, it starts in 2054. Um, and, um, you, you are the, you are the older brother and the daughter and the, 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 the sister is like sick and you're in like a burned out grocery store and you have to like use this like lead pipe to like defend her from all these shades, these, these monsters called shades, um, and you, you fight level them up off. like eight levels in five yeah, minutes. You, you level up way <laughs> up and it teaches you kind of the basics of the yeah. stuff and the, the magic abilities that you use the book for. Um, and then like you save her and uh, a bunch of, you know, she gets sick and start, starts freaking out with some of the least convincing coughing I've ever heard in a voice <laughs> acting situation. Yeah. And, and then suddenly like it jumps ahead some absurdly specific number of years, like 1,432 years later kind of thing. Um, 14, and, I wrote down 1,400 years later. Yeah. I was like, what? It's very specifically like 1,430 is, yeah. something, something yeah. like that. Um, like it, it really wants you to know the exact number. 14 centuries. So it jumps <laughs> forward and now you are still the same boy with the same sick sister, but now you live in a village that is in a, you know, a much more overgrown, like, you know, civilization has been gone for 1500 years um, situation. And you are sort of running odd jobs for the the girl who runs the village from the library. Um, and uh, so that's kind of where it starts is your sister is sick. You're trying to find a way to like keep her alive and keep her healthy. And you sort of do odd jobs and hunting errands for this village. And as you go out and do these things, stuff gets weirder and weirder and weirder until you kind of end up in the usual, we have to do this to save the world and my sister and the village and et cetera situation. Um, and, Story uh, of this is supposed to be really good. I've never, I didn't make it that far in the first one. Like I got really frustrated with it pretty quickly and mm -hmm. I wasn't reviewing it. And so I didn't make it that far, mm -hmm. but I've heard people talk about it for, literally over a decade at this point and yeah everyone seems to say that the story in this is just exceptional would you agree the story is is really good um part of the part of the problem is that to really get the most out of the story you got to play this game three times do you really need um, to or can you play it once and yes. watch the other endings on youtube no because the, the at least the second playthrough is key because it's very different okay um it reveals a lot of but the, the first, I mean, they're all, each subsequent playthrough is much shorter. So, like, the first playthrough would probably take you, like, 40, 50 hours. Ooh. I would say the second playthrough would be more like 15 to 20. Okay. Um, and then the third playthrough is more like six. Oh. Um, so, it's not manageable. like you're replaying the whole game. But what I will say is the second playthrough of the game, you aren't doing what you think you're doing in the first playthrough. Oh. Like the information you get from the second playthrough completely changes what you think happened in the first one. And then the third playthrough completely changes what you think about everything. Wow. And then the decision you make at the end of the third playthrough gets you one of two endings. And one is a bad ending and the other is a worse ending. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's no good ending. Them, and one of them leads into what clearly what is becomes you know near automata. Um, Canada, and then one of the, yeah, and then one of them also, there's a, there's an option to basically, um, what you choose. And this makes sense when you, when you are narratively involved, 
it erases your save. Oh, Lord. Which, granted, you're done with by that point. You're, you know, you finish the game. But it erases your save, and it alters the, the system save so that if you were to start a new game, you could not name your character the same thing you named him in the previous playthrough you did because he has been erased from reality. Oh, Lord. Which I think is really cool. It is cool. Um, Some people may not think it's so cool, though. <laughs> and it's like, it's just one. It's also like one of those things you'd only know if you tried to name your guy the same thing you named him right. before. And it's like, nope, this character does not He's exist. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's, <laughs> um, but like, so it's that kind of it's that kind of fuckery that's happening with this game. And like, it's it's the sort of like this is the twist of like suddenly realizing that like, oh, when this happened in the first playthrough this is what was really happening. Uh, and like, you know, and Automata does, some... you know, Automata does a similar thing when they make you play as different characters through like multiple playthroughs. And like, you slowly learn more about what happened and what the world is really like as you play it. Um, it's like a slow burn revelation thing. Mm -hmm. And this game, this game does that. Um, it's more of a time commitment than Automata, but I think this game does that better than Automata. Mm, okay. Automata. How are, I, I got to look that up. I don't think it matters. I, I <laughs> People not. know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> we called it both. And um, so other than that, I, I, I will say, um, you know, the original game is very janky and clunky in places. Uh, this game is way better in that yeah, re this version. Like they, they did a great job updating it to feel. And there is stuff that is still archaic. Like you are still spending too much time running back and forth ac around this village. Uh, which is gigantic. Like your house is on the yep. outskirts of the village to get to the market. You have to run all the way over here to get to the library to talk to Popolo, who's the one who gives you your stuff. You have to go all the way back up to the library. Then you got to go all the way back down to the southern gate to get out to that. That's where the mission is. And you got to come all. And sometimes the missions are like, go down to sea to Seagate or whatever the, whatever the sea the, and the, buy the fishing like town five is. Herbs. and buy like five five of these things I mean, for me it's like, like most of and the then you go back and you give that. it to the woman who wanted the thing and she's like oh i also wanted fertilizer next time you're over there can you get me some fertilizer i'm like you son. like they're you constantly sending you back again to do <laughs> like you go into you know that happens you know there's a ruin thing later you may have not got to yet you go and you're supposed to go in to um get materials to upgrade your weapons for these guys you meet and you get the materials, you come back, and then it's just like, oh, by the way, our mom has been missing in there for like a week. And he's like, okay, I'll go back. So you got to go back in, and now you get a code for an <laughs> like elevator. They would have mentioned that. And it's just like, you know, I could get all this done in one trip if y'all would just remember what you fucking need me to do, right? It seems um, to me like most of the quest objectives were that. At least like the side quests were always they just are, like, go like, get me five of this, three of that, and one of these. There is a lot of that. Part of that is kind of lulling you into a... Um, a sense of the mundane Interesting. like that's okay. that isn't going to last ah. um they're trying to create a sense of like sort of like yeah, you're this Routine. errand boy and yeah. you do odd jobs and it's supposed to be like so like you're supposed to get to a point where like later in the game you're like god remember when i was just like, gathering eggs for people that was so simple <laughs> you know like gotcha gotcha um, okay so it's that kind of thing I, again it's a slow burn be ready for that there's even i mean there's even a moment where you complain, you'd say to the book that like, man, wouldn't it be great if we could just like instantly use magic to like instantly warp from like one place <laughs> to the other. And the book's like, what are you talking about, boy? Warp <laughs> magic. And he's like, it's like, yeah, you know, just like, so we wouldn't have to run everywhere like we do. And he's like, it's like, mm, you don't want to do that. The magicians that experiment with that ended up inside out and backwards. You don't want to do warp magic. And it's just like, oh yeah, no, you we convinced do. me. <laughs> I still want fast travel. I, I really do still want fast travel boys. Um, you do get like a mount at one point that can take you through the areas faster, um, but it's very hard to control. Um, but you can get there quicker. And it's like, you know, things do change. Like eventually, like, like there's at one point, one of the early areas you go through, like when you come back through it, there's a giant like shade 
and like early at first you're like okay let's fight this guy and it's like he can but he can one shot you no oh. until you get to be like level like 25 or something it's like it's like you done. basically need to just like beeline through this one area every time until you get way more powerful and can come back and deal with stuff uh, but it's, but it's, you know, it's, I think it's fun. I really enjoy this game. I think that, yeah, I think the re having gone back to try to replay it a couple of years ago and failing, um, I think this remake makes it way more playable, even though it doesn't fix everything. You know, I would have added fast travel. I would have, the combat um, feels way more fluid than yes, what I played in the is. first one. But the other thing that I've come to realize with this game, and I realized it the first time I played it too, is that it gets very repetitive, the combat, mm -hmm. like the actual things that you can do with your melee weapon are very limited. Now, the book ends up giving you, like, magic attacks that you can use to mix stuff up with, but... Yeah, the, the book is really your main combat right. implement. But like the actual the, the, the hacking sword and is slashing for, like, in this gets very wood. repetitive very quickly, I thought. Mm. It Does can. that change I mean, like, eventually? Sort of. Like, the eventually you are fighting more interesting enemies is how it changes. Um yeah, and you get a glimpse of this in the boss battles early on. You know, the boss battles sort of play out as more like multi-phase boss battles, and there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of bullet hell elements yep. to them at times. You know, like they'll send out tons of projectiles, and you can either you can either shoot them down with the magic from the book, or you can slash them with your sword, which recharges your magic gauge. Uh, and you never really fully run out of magic; it auto recharges pretty fast, but and like very quickly. Like I mean, yeah, we reuse magic pretty frequently. Yeah, but you can you can drop down to like nothing and sort of run out of juice pretty quick if you're sort of spamming the magic. Mm -hmm. um, but it's never a super big problem. Um, and then you can you, know, you can recharge it real fast if you start slashing enemy bullets like like that. It's it's a, it's a good balance system more or less. So and wait, you good. rebuild magic by slashing enemy bullets? Yeah, when the, the red the, the red sphere bullets come yeah. out, if you slash them with your sword, you will that that will cause cause the blood from them to recharge your magic. Oh, that's gauge. a huge pro tip. Yeah. So uh, and there are tons of pro tips that pop up in this game, but often you will ignore them because you're in the middle of something. I mean, I honestly ignore like every conversation, <laughs> like. They, it's crazy. They voiced like every line. Yeah, the whole thing like. is fully voiced now, which was, was not true like before. That? I can't remember. No, not at all. It was almost all. You only got voices in the cutscenes, really. That's a lot of work, um, man. And now all the incidental, like every villager you talk to, every shopkeeper, every everything is voiced. It's actually really impressive. And the music also, I thought was music is great. Yeah. Music has always been great in these games. Yeah, I just saw is, someone is in my chat favorite. mention it. Um, yeah, back in back in the old the, the original Arbiter's one, Act. I would just I'd park the character in the tavern in the first village and just listen to Devila sing and just leave that on for a while because I like I like the song of the ancients in this. It's just which sort of the the constant I guess sort of the main theme. Like there's tons of little reworkings of the song of the ancients in this game. Yeah, uh, for a lot of the music and it's all very well done. I think the only th the one thing that I do find weird is uh, Kaine, uh, the first like real companion you get. Uh, her outfit is questionable um i've seen like, the trailers yeah <laughs> yeah like there's a there's there's an element of that that's part of the character but it's like it's sort of that like weird excuse of like oh her ass is part of her character sort of thing uh -huh. um or, or like quiet in metal gear solid 5 where right. it's like oh she breathes through her skin so she has to be naked, naked and roll around time, in the rain man. all there's the time contrivance okay, that they put in there Come to on. show a naked chick the whole time <laughs> yeah like you could have given her some pants right. in the remaster uh, in remake that's all i'm saying yeah but um, you know you just, a lot of people would it, it just feels it feels kind of out of place now like like back then, it was sort of oh, that's just how they do it. But like now, it's sort of like oh, you could probably have updated that to be a little more modern in its sensibility. But I mean, you can um, definitely tell this game is old. Yeah, and they they did re-record everything, and uh, they brought back a lot of the original voice actors, which is cool. Like you know, and, to re-record. Yeah, for wow. the re-recordings, like 
but Kanye is is the same voice actress uh, as before, but you can tell like she's a little older um, with the, just the way her voice sounds. But it actually I think works better for the character because um, Kanye is such a such a gruff sort of like like t- you know f- over over the bullshit character. I think I think her performance in this is better. Um, I do mi- I do prefer old guy. I do prefer the old oh, really? dad to the young the young brother. I just felt like that dynamic worked better for me. Like the like a father going all out to like save the daughter just sort of felt more normal or more less strange to me than this like brother who almost looks as young as this sister like running out and doing all this stuff. Like it still works, but I like the dad thing better. But I can see why like that was sort of novel also at the time. And now it it's does like seem everything. awful young to be on a quest of such magnitude. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just liked the, I mean, the old old version of the character guy. Old dad guy was ugly. It was an ugly character yeah, design. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I just I thought that dynamic worked better for me. Um, I, I've never really bought into the weird, like, you know, weird, devoted older brother anime guy thing. The one um, thing it does fi- do is I mean, it, fine. it switches perspectives all the time. Yeah. Like it'll go like from that. like these crazy pulled back views. It I mean the bulk of it is played from kind of over the shoulder behind the back camera. Mm-hmm. But then it'll go top down sometimes. Sometimes yeah, like a lot of buildings are like side scrolling or yeah. like you'll climb up like a ladder a and do like a one game at times. Yeah, like you do like a little camera. side it's like odd world. You'll like side scrolling action yeah. scene through like you know, 2D stuff. Like yeah. I like how they switch all that up. Like yeah, that is, I, agree. I think it's yeah, cool. I thought that was cool too. It kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit. Um, and it's like a there's also a little bit of like um, it helps with the kind of the surrealism of the, like when you go in your house to go see like your, your sister is upstairs in the upstairs bedroom, you go in and you walk left to right across like the kitchen and past your bed. And then you go upstairs and then it scrolls to the, to the right. But then you come out of like the stairs from the other side. And like, there's no way that that works geographically, but it sort of like does the transition to sort of just smooth it. Well, but there's also it's also like it's it kind of throws you off, and you're just like, wait, no, what's going I on? I ran like, the wrong way, Matt. I was gonna bring that up yeah. actually. I actually went the wrong way and went back upstairs. It like yeah, broke like my brain. Happens. I was like, no, it's I'm supposed to go that way now. Like I don't yeah, know what it was about it. And that's super super intentional. I'm like sure. That, yeah. Yeah. They're they're really they're trying to like kind of subtly throw you off things. I really I, it's not gonna work for everybody, but I really appreciate that kind of like the the way that like. Tyro is very good at kind of throwing you, throwing you a little bit off the off your game a little bit, um, just every once in a while. And you're like, wait, what? Is that is that weird? Is it like jank or is it like supposed to be like right. that? And you're never quite <laughs> sure. And the great thing about this game is that uh, eventually you will generally learn that no, that was intentional. Like they were doing that on purpose. Okay. And um, it's there's not a lot of other stuff to compare it to in terms of sort of the aesthetic and except the other stuff that this team has made. Uh, the aesthetic and sort of the narrative thrust and what they're doing. Like if you like near automata, automata, whatever you want to call it. Um, and don't, uh, and never played this, you should absolutely play this. It has um, the same it, mood and tone for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, they're very good companion pieces. I don't think you're losing anything by playing this one second. Um, I think you'll still get a lot out of it. Um, cause there are references to what happened in this game in automata, but, but it's not like as o- so overt that I don't think you get anything out of playing this firsthand. Um, and it's fun. I guess I, you know, it's, it's a big somewhat leisurely at first adventure. Um, I will say that like, if you don't like the side quest where you have to gather like 14 ingredients and 13 bear asses and bring them back from like town to town, like, the only thing you really get from that are like sp- certain items and like um, money. 
Like okay. if you're not doing those side quests, you are not really missing anything vital. And it's not um, going to hurt me later on. Like I'm not going to need no, the money like, for I, They're just to make life easier, being able to afford more stuff, to afford more, you know, mainly what I use the money for is buying stuff for the garden because you do eventually get a garden. You can grow grow seeds in and get ingredients. And then that's where you get a lot of the ingredients to fulfill a lot of these, like buy, you know, bring me 10 wheat quests and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and if you're not into that, you're not into that. But like there's an element of like this game tries to throw in almost everything you can think of in the kitchen sink when it comes to what you can do in adventure games. And like for the most part, kind of pulls it off. And I appreciate that. Uh, Matt, does the combat hold up for the entirety of the game? That's my big concern because what I've seen um, so far is very simple. And I don't think I could keep doing what I've been doing for another like 40 hours. I just don't. Um, yes, uh, I think it does because eventually you need, you need to kind of learn how the magic system works together with the sword combat. Um, sword combat never fully changes, but, but, um, once you learn to integrate the magic into the combos, uh, and then the the combos can make the magic more powerful. Um, you're going to, you're going to need that to survive later on. Um, the other thing I'll say is like, I thought the combat was pretty much fine in that regard in the first game. Uh, I feel like this will do better because the combat is much more fluid and and easier to handle. It does feel a lot better. Um, they did a great job sort of like bridging the gap between what the old game was and what automata does. Um, you know, it's not, I don't think anyone's going to confuse it for a platinum game no, in terms of its no. combat system, but like it, it works. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you'll get little things, you know, like, like, you know, like you, every, and every form of the magic has like, has like quirks you can figure out and exploit. Like, you know, the, the most simple one is probably the dark blast, which is like sort of the, just a constant stream of bullets yeah. you can shoot with the right button, uh, the right bumper. Um, but you know, once you hold it down, it charges up and then you let it go and it does like a Ponder Dragoon, like, you know, auto seeking missile thing. But the other thing you'll eventually learn is the first shot of that is more powerful than the normal shots. And, but, but if you want to, you just tap RB constantly and you'll constantly fire the more powerful shots. No, uh, you won't charge up to get the, the auto homing blast and you will drain the magic meter faster. But if you need to just kill something quickly, uh, that'll do it because <laughs> those those are like four times the strength of a normal bullet from that okay. spell, and all the all the spells kind of have, have like a charge thing and stuff. They have sort of things like that you can exploit. Uh, Matt, it's there, if you, this, it's there if you want it. Basically, is how I'd put it. I'd say. Okay, um, it's for PC, PS4, X, and Xbox One. It's sixty bucks, right? Yeah, but full price. I mean, fifty hour game you can play. Yeah, you get all, you, you get your times. hours worth. Yeah. And it looks good. Yeah, I'm I'm playing it on the Series X, and it looks great. It does. Um, yeah, it's runs hard well. to tell honestly that it's is from the look of it. It's hard to tell how old it was. Playing it, you can tell mm-hmm. how old it is. But. Yeah, well, they. I mean, they did remake this from the ground. It's a brand new game. You wow. know, they did not just upres things. Everything is redone. From I don't know scratch. if that was a good idea. <laughs> I mean, in terms of investment for it, like I, I don't know, but I'm glad they did it. Like I, I you know, near has been one of those games I've been sad has been trapped on the old. So I was always hoping they would make it backwards compatible on the Xbox one. And they just never did probably cause this was in the works. Yep. Um, but I'm glad to have, you know, have this really great version of it to sit right there next to automata on, yep. on the Xbox and you can play both of them. Like there, it's a really good pair of games there. Yeah, um, it gets a little hard because we're finally this. If this had come out like a month and a half ago, I have a feeling it might yeah. have just done gangbusters. But now we're starting to get some legitimate games, some real competition for it. Yeah, as a March release, I think this would have would have been a big winner. Yeah, like I it, it would have had a, a couple of a, a little mini drought to like this could have filled the gap on. But now we're about to hit. Too. 
Like, yeah, we're about to hit Resident Evil. We're about to hit some stuff that's, you know, but, but I do encourage, you know, even if you don't want to do it now, if you're saving your money for Resident Evil or you have other things to play right now, um, you know, when, when it inevitably goes on sale or it pops up, you know, with a you know, 20% off or something like later this year, I really encourage you to check it out. Um, it's not like anything else. Like, that's one of my big pushes for it is like, it can feel like it. It can feel mundane in a way, but like once you get further into it, you'll see like it's, it's using well-worn, uh, you know, mechanics and tropes in certain places. It's not like the fishing game's going to win any medals or anything, but like it's 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 put together in a in a weird, different way than almost anything else I can think of, except the other near game. Um, so I got I gotta I gotta endorse it for that, and also you know the music is amazing. Like just that soundtrack, I'll probably buy that all over again yep. if they put that out. So there you go. Um, That's Near Replicant. Again, it's available for PC, PS4, Xbox One, and it's 60 bucks. Let's get to some Q&A. We actually have some time to get to some questions. I've timed out the show very well this week uh, after I beat myself up for not doing that well over the last couple weeks. Uh, let's see if we got some people who – oh, Commander Fett, thank you for Twitch Prime at the end of the show. Appreciate it. Uh, let's see if anybody else hit up Twitch Prime at the end of the show. Not yet. All right, let's get to some questions. Um, EDH420, you just had a great holiday. Uh, <laughs> what's more important for good picture quality in games or movies, the fidelity of the source content or your display slash panel? That's a good one. Um, generally, the source content. Like, if the source doesn't give you the quality you need, it doesn't matter what you're displaying it on. Yeah, it's like watching um, SD stuff on a 4K, like... OLED, it doesn't look that much yeah. better, honestly. I mean, it can, you can, depending on what's in your TV that's like, you know, doing what is in the display doing the upresing or upscaling, it can help. But I, in my experience, a solid, you know, a solid 4K UHD disc uh, can't really be beat. Yeah. No, no matter, no matter what your, your display is. Yep. Even if you're watching on 1080p, that thing's going to look amazing because you're down you're down sampling from a really really good source. You always want a good source. So example for example if you maybe you're thinking about starting a YouTube channel or whatever, when you archive your stuff, always archive it at a very high bit rate, high frame rate because eventually that's all you're going to have. That's what you're going to use to create anything else from. So if you want to use an episode of something you did in another edit, you want to have that really high res, crisp clean, high bit rate high frame rate version that you can use in that edit because every time you edit it and step down the line, it's going to degrade. So it's always important to have the best source material as possible. And so, I, yeah, I agree with Matt on that one for sure. Uh, great question, though. Let's see. Oh, oh, by the way, go at Sifted Games in chat, and it'll help us pull them out of all the, the chat we got going on. Um, one Super Master Gamer asks, why is there no such drama with gaming medias? Feels like this was not the case in the pre-YouTube era. Why is there so much negativity? Uh, I don't know if I'd agree with that, honestly. Uh, people are really competitive. I've told this story before, but, like, you know, we were told at GameSpot when I worked there to not, like, hang out with IGN people, you know? <laughs> it's weird, but we were. Like, our boss was like, I don't want you guys talking to IGN folks, and I don't want you hanging around with them. It was dumb. And I ignored mm -hmm. it, to be perfectly honest with you. And it was, it was I also a sort of, of a, it was sort of like, kind of an almost unspoken, understood thing. Like when when I found out that Adam was talking to you when they're you're out smoking and like trading tips on, I'm like, are we allowed to do that? Like, yeah. <laughs> like I thought, like you know, 
there was definitely a team sport mentality about it, it was that existed. Yep. I yeah, which seemed very. It seemed like pointless. Like it mostly was among like the high, the big guys, like you know, game, yep. games, they wanted GameStop, us to not GameSpot, like each and, other. They created and IGN, the rivalry. Yeah. Game Informer to some degree, but like you didn't see Game Informer people all that much. Yep. Um, and that kind of went away by the mid two thousands. I would yep. say, like, I made uh, it go away. I was like, I like these people. They like the same stuff I do, and some of them are like DJs like me. Like, there's nobody here who DJs like. It was just dumb. Like, I don't mm-hmm. understand it. Like, look, I get, like, you didn't want to go out with them and start telling them, like, all the stuff you're working on behind the scenes or, like, what exclusive mm-hmm. coverage we had coming up. But only an idiot would do that. And there are some idiots. So yeah. I can understand well, so, why they would say, like, look, if you go out with these people, be careful what you say. I get that. But, like, to mm-hmm. say, like, don't hang out with them. Like, I went to some event and the event was over. We had finished our work. We were all just kind of sitting at the bar. And, like, somebody from IGN sat next to me, and I started talking to him. And, like, the next Monday, I come into work, and someone comes up to me. He's like, hey, I heard that you were, like, talking to that IGN. I'm like, what? I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, you can't tell me who my friends are. Like, so, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, there's well, probably- some of it was also, like, you know, some of it was also, I think, because of the perception of the people reading. Like, you know, there was, you know, the, the non-industry perception online was that, like, these were this was war. There was basically it was basically the console wars, but for media outlets, you know. And yep. you can't spell IGN, you know, ignorant without IGN. Yeah. You, can, you know, Games GameSpot is more a game schlock or what? You know, the, yeah, like no, people right. people took sides and and you know argued over which outlet was better, like the same way they argued about which console was better. And I think at a certain point, you have a lot of the people that you know came from that mentality then working for them. That's true. And yeah. it sort of continued from there. Um, and for whatever reason, like you say, the bosses seem to encourage that. Um, that eventually went. I mean, that was never an attitude that existed at Tech TV or G Four. No. Um, by the time I went there, it wasn't a thing. In either. part because you know, in part at G Four, I think because we were leading the the culture yep. there, um, and that was not a part of anything. You know, we we had. Uh, you cannot imagine yeah. telling one of my employees to not talk to somebody. No, it doesn't make any I mean, sense. That's insane. Yeah, and. Uh, EG, EGM, there was some of that with EGM as well. EGM was a little uh, standoffish about other outlets it for was. a while. Remember? Yeah, that, you're right. They were, yeah, they were a little bougie, which is they, they, they thought they were the shit. They really and, did. Uh, I mean, let's be yeah. honest. That's really what they thought. Like they come into events and they act like they own the place and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. It was a funny time. Um, are like, YouTubers catty? Is that what he's getting X. at? Like YouTubers are going after each other now, or whatever. Yeah, I mean it happens. Like, but you know, I think uh, I think it was Vincent in there who said like, you it's, it's not really more common. It's just you see it now because of social media. Like yeah. it's just, like it's it's all out there. You know. Yeah, because we didn't have Twitter and stuff where we're going and talking to like people. Like if you didn't watch or like watch a show that we did or a podcast or whatever, you wouldn't know what happened. Now people mm-hmm. are sniping each other in public, so it's bizarre. But yeah, I don't. I haven't seen it in like games journalism yeah. in a long time. So maybe to his point, like he wasn't around when this stuff was happening. So maybe to him, he's like, I don't see like IGN and GameSpot going after each yeah. other now. I think a big part of that may be that people just don't want to burn bridges because there aren't any jobs. Yeah, that's true too. Also, also like a lot of the interpersonal stuff wasn't known back in right. the day. It was yeah. like it was a company level, sure, but like it wasn't until I started getting into actually the you know working at Tech TV and stuff that I started and going to these events and I started like, oh, this guy hates that guy and she hates him and they and they used to date and now they don't talk anymore. So those yeah. teams are kind of like, yeah, it's like, like it, it, when you sort of and then you learn all the interpersonal drama 
which was pretty much just, you know, every, I mean, that was the same thing as learning, like who didn't like each other at the, the 24 hour fitness I worked at, you know, it's, it's just how it works. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, was, and that stuff didn't really get out of the, of the social circles um, of, of the industry, but that was fascinating to learn. You know, now I think you, you know, a lot more of that because uh, it pops up in, in little tell all tweets or like people talk about it, like, you know, subtweet things and all that or sort of thing. Really bad. Like you learn really about bad it. If it's like a news story yeah. or a news story. So yeah, we've certainly yeah. seen that. Yeah. That's that, that stuff gets called out now in a way it wouldn't have back then. Oh no. I mean, um, this stuff was happening back then, Matt, and oh, it wasn't course. being called out at all. I mean, a lot of these people who are telling these horrible stories, those stories go back to that go time. Go back to that time, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Jam Rain, thank you, man, for all the subs you're giving to our viewers in the chat. Another reason to always show up for Game Face Live. Um, OCD Master, if I'm a fan of the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes, will I enjoy Resident Evil 8? Hmm. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, they're very different games. They are. I mean... Obviously, two and three are more like classic Resident Evil. Like I said, maybe you missed the discussion, but I was talking about how um, this Resident Evil, like Resident Evil 4, takes you places. You're not just going to stay in one location, and it's this like little puzzle you have to unlock, and once you unlock it all, the game's over. Um, the big tall lady that you've been seeing in all the promo, she's one of four henchmen that you have to do something with. I don't know if you end up killing them all or what. Um, so she's a part of the game, and then there's another three quarters of the game that presumably happened somewhere else. So it's not kind of this little self-contained sort of puzzle box like the classic Resident Evils are. And if that turns you off, then you probably aren't going to like Resident Evil 8. I mean, I really, I, could, I think I could just answer it like, did you like Resident Evil 4? If you did, I think you're going to like Resident Evil 8. It's the best way to describe it. And if you don't believe me, You'll be able to play it here in the next week mm. if you have an. And Xbox as someone player. who has not liked Resident Evil since Resident Evil Four, uh, that seems to be holding true for me. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, Johnny Hurricane, thank you for Twitch Prime, man. Hope you're doing well. Hope everyone's doing well. Hope everyone's feeling good as we start coming out of this insanity we've been dealing with. I know I feel like a weight has been lifted. I don't know if everyone's feeling the same way. Again, I think that's what the vaccine does for you when you get your first shot. It just takes a huge weight off your shoulders, not just for yourself, but for everyone else. It's like, man, I don't have to worry about, like, infecting somebody and killing them anymore. It's a good feeling. Uh, Texture Glitch, thank you for Twitch Prime. You guys are all waited till the end. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see if we'll answer one more question if there is one. Uh, here's one from Vincent. What's up, Vincent? Hope you're doing well, too, brother. Um, are you excited to play Super Mario Party online? And why did the update come out 30 months later? So I don't know if you saw this today, Matt, but they just dropped mm-hmm. an update for the latest Mario Party for Switch today. Like, I forgot it even existed almost. It's been so long since the game came out. You never know with Nintendo, man. They're full of surprises. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I also forgot there was a Mario Party on Switch. Why do you think they would um, wait so long to do this? You think it was just a, ma- a matter of, like, getting no the te- enough the teams ready to, like, do it? or Maybe. I don't know. It feels like something that would have been really useful a year ago. It does. Um, <laughs> or, or three years ago when it came out. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I will not play it because um, I haven't played Mario Party since the N64, and I don't intend to change that now. I, I haven't um, either. Like, I think I got that code, though. Maybe I gave it to Vincent or somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have it on my in my Switch library. So, yeah. I, I mean, cool. It's kind of crazy that that's not, like, standard issue equipment for a Mario Party game. Like, it feels like that would be... It's absurd. I mean, it should la- every Mario Party should launch with online play. 
It's pretty mm-hmm. ridiculous that that's this one. I mean, it's, for it's pure reason. better late than never, but I guess yeah. they, you know, I mean, on one hand, it's absurd, but like on the other hand, it's like, well, I mean, you can't argue with that kind of support 30 months later. But then I like, wonder, like, could that team be doing something else? Like, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, how many people is that really going to serve at this point? Although the game did sell really well. So, yeah. I guess maybe a few million actually might be happy about that. If yeah, they haven't pretty, deleted it off their minuscule t- Switch hard drive by now, like most people. Right. Have. That's the other problem. I even have like a 128 gig micro SD card in mine, and even that's full now. And so now I'm. Yeah, I've had to clear off a little bit of space on mine. Mine's, I think Although, mine's the same size. I will size. say this it's pretty amazing this file, how small the file sizes are for Switch games. Yeah, Switch games, they, they manage the. I mean, it's obviously, they're, they're, they're not dealing with 4K textures right. and stuff, but, at least, but, but they do manage the file sizes very well. I mean, the file sizes should be the same size as like the PS4 games and the Xbox One games that we are playing. Those had 1080p textures, just like Switch games. Why are they all them, like three gigs or four textures. gigs? It's crazy. A lot of those had 4K textures. Yeah, or they made you download them even though you weren't using them, I guess. Yeah. But like, if you think back to like the early first two years of PlayStation 4, they were all 1080p games. Like, mm-hmm. And they were still 30, 40, 50 gigs. Like, I don't know what they do. They're wizards over there at Nintendo. Somehow they're making it work with these small file sizes. Isn't something like as huge mm-hmm. as like... Breath of the Wild, like it's a yeah. Well, part process. of that is because um, um, I don't know. Like, you're not accessing the disc anymore, so I'm not sure what the what the difference. Because part of part of the difference used to be that like you could use the cartridge where you could just access it instantly. And part of the problem was like the the disc games would be bigger because you had to duplicate the data places so you could access it quicker than have to you know send the lens over to like reaccess it somewhere else on the disc. So you like kind of duplicate triplicate you know versions of the same data over and over again. Um, but that shouldn't be happening now because um, because everything just gets installed to the hard drive. So I'm not sure. Uh, Justin Horman says GameCube discs and memory cards train them for small file sizes. It's good mm-hmm. an idea as any, brother. <laughs> that's the way I look at it. Oh, and Vincent says that he did review it. Yeah, I thought so. All right. That's it for Game Face episode 253. As I said, I'm Shane Satterfield, your humble host. We're here every week. Uh, at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on your Tuesday. It's a great way, especially if you live in California or the West Coast, to make the second half of your Tuesday just fly on by. Just put it in the background, put in your earbuds, and no one will ever know you're listening to some great video game talk. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Dinfire. Uh, My co-host, Matt Kyle, you can find him on Twitter at mkyle. And you can find the site itself on Twitter at siftedgames. And if you want to help us out financially, and we need it, we always need it, every dollar matters for us, head to patreon.com slash sifted. That's S-I-F-T-D. Before I go, I have my call tomorrow for three-night weekend with Jason Schreier. Very excited about that. Look for that episode live on Friday. It is going to be a good one. Uh, And listen, if any of you guys are listening to the show on a podcast service, you're getting it for free, you're getting it for free on YouTube, Hook us up with Twitch Prime. It's in the description below. Um, ring the bell, like it, subscribe, all that crap. We'd really appreciate it. Like, we really, really do appreciate it. Um, and also, make sure you follow us on Twitter, like I said, if you can't afford to help us because you'll get all the updates when all the free versions of our content goes live. So on behalf of Matt, I'm Shane. We'll be back here next Tuesday. We'll see you then. Game Face is up and out. <laughs>